0: Welcome to the podcast, Cutting for Sign. I'm Ron Cecil, men's life coach and writer, together with my co-host, best friend and artist, Daniel Penner-Klein. Throughout our lives and as friends over the past decade, we've asked, how do we find the clues and puzzle pieces that align us with our higher potential? Join us as we converse with experts, artists, adventurers, mental health professionals, and fellow deep thinkers as we cut for sign and attune our own potential, mental health, and creativity.
1: bad white men call him the devil the Adipi call calling eyes like the sky
0: hey everybody welcome to cutting for sign Fuck yeah. today we have a special alaska edition oh yeah of this oh episode
2: yeah. this is gonna be good I'm in, I'm psyched.
0: I, I used to like really want to go to Alaska and the desire is gone. I don't know why. Whoa. I don't have no idea why it's gone, but I just don't even think about it. anymore.
2: suppression of joy.
0: (laughs) Cause I hate myself.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Kinda it's the only reason like, like you're growing into a person who would just appreciate it more every 10 minutes of your life.
0: So there's two ways I want to see Alaska. One (laughs) is I want to, I want to do the Norwegian cruise line. Or whatever it's called that does the does that thing—the
2: inner passage that goes out of Bellingham, Washington—I
0: guess. Yeah, it's it?
2: called the Alaska Marine Highway, and it's a—it uh, goes through the inner passage, which is the the it, Juan de Fuca's. Wi- yeah, winds all the way through all those passages and channels all the way up the Canadian coast. I've done it; it's fucking incredible.
0: Really? Okay. Oh yeah. And then the other way I want to see Alaska is like wilderness only. Like I want to go there and only be in the wilderness. Like for, you don't want
2: to have a nice dinner out in Anchorage,
0: maybe at the end. To celebrate. As a, you know, like before, like, yes. a, yeah, the way I like to do a wilderness trip is like the last night or two is like go to a nice yeah. hotel, have a yeah. nice shower, have a nice oh, meal. Yes. Yeah. Like that's that's a good climbing trip.
2: Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's weird. Just go. You're overthinking it. <laughs> just kidding, so wilderness, like maybe a hunting trip.
0: Yeah. A hunting trip would be great. Yeah. yeah like yeah. A, maybe a, a moose yeah. archery trip or something like that. Maybe walkabout. Yeah. That'd be you great. Know, spirit quest. A fast. Three day oh fast in the wilderness.
2: God. Oh my God. That sounds just terrible. <laughs> oh, I'm cold. I'm hungry.
0: <laughs> there's a ton of mosquitoes there too, right in the summer. Oh, they're <laughs> it's <like> huge, horrible. <laughs> man. They're huge. You know, Canada, uh, uh, Scotland, and, and Alaska are kind of on the same latitude. Nice. And
2: no and... way, no fucking way.
0: Yeah, pretty Scotland. similar. Yeah.
2: No, you're thinking. You're thinking the Scandinavias. Those are. I lived in Alaska a couple of times. The Scandinavias. There's a lot of Scandinavians. Oh, really? In Alaska. Okay. Th- those are. You know, Scotland is the fucking British Isles, man. YouTube well, is, yeah,
0: no. don't let me don't let me lose the wind in my sails here. I was gonna tell. I don't know if story. you had wind in your sails. Well, buddy. there was there's these Alaskan-sized uh, mosquitoes there okay. in the summer. They call them midges. I don't know why they call them that. I, maybe they're oh. not mosquitoes. They're like a biting cool. fly.
2: Oh, midges! They're really small. I think they're
0: brutal. Oh, Ooh. dude, like brutal. Like, we'd go climbing Ooh. somewhere and, and just get eaten up,
2: eaten up yeah yeah that I've heard that's
0: awful. Alaska's awful.
2: I mean, I've spent a lot of nights outside in Alaska and in the summertime I hitch hitchhiked up there twice, um, full- on sleeping on the side of the highway, getting picked up by people going having adventures uh, high adventure. I got picked up by a serial potential serial killer, ended up writing an article about it later.
0: Why do you think he was a serial killer?
2: Okay, because a couple reasons. First of all, during that summer, there was a serial killer roaming up and down, or somewhere around that time. This is the early aughts.
0: And this is like in Canada, like the highway that yeah, goes exactly. from Vancouver, yeah. BC, up to. Yes.
2: Yeah. There's a couple one. There's the Alcan, and then there's the one that's the more more coastal. But, and so I got I needed to hustle up there. I was going up there for a wedding, and I get picked up by this uh, trucker, right? Mm-hmm. And it's fine. It's cool. Truckers are great to get picked up by because they just go. And I needed to hustle. So he starts talking about kind of weird stuff, and then and it gets a little bit weirder, and weird. And then he goes,
0: "What's wait, 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 wait? What was the first thing he said that your your flags were like? Well,
2: I, well, I can't remember the the buildup, but the crescendo was this. He starts telling me about Orca, like in an in an odd way, and how Orca will play with the baby seals for quite a while." Before they kill them,
0: that's specific. It was real specific. I mean, was there like a buildup to this where you are like, <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: hey, what do you think about
0: bear? Like, like no, we talk no, about animals it was, for a while.
2: Non Exactly. It was, didn't fit the conversation, <laughs> nor did his tone. And so I was like, and then you know, I've just been, I've just been hearing by other rides all these stories about this serial killer. I was like, oh, but I really needed to get to Alaska, and so I was like, I was like, I, I'm gonna ride this and i ended up spending the night in his in like going for like two days with this guy and I, and he had lost a son and it was very clear that he was working his son's stuff out with me and
0: whoa weirder
2: and weirder and weirder and i was like so you slept in goes, the cab with him i did i spent two days within that truck with him
0: like and in I the was bed very
2: with him? bold <laughs> while he was driving i would take naps <laughs> I don't remember. I'm exaggerating a little bit about the two days, but it was like a full day, a day and a half. And then, and then he, I, let me just put it this way. It felt like in retrospect, because then he takes me out to breakfast and we have this really odd, awkward breakfast. Like he, I was like his son, but he was like, Am I going to kill my son or am I going to love my son? I don't, and, and then he goes, And then at the very end, I got the distinct feeling that I had just escaped being killed by a serial killer and then i went went back home and i ended up writing an article about it i'll send it to you sometime for the school newspaper
0: i want to see um did 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 they ever catch the killer i don't know not sure i don't know when you bring this story up daniel you need to have some details like firmed up even if you just make them up just God damn
2: Just it! it's a good call there's too. there's <laughs> over the years too many of the of the flesh has gone away from it yeah, yeah you need, need to like, reread oh, that he, article
0: yeah he like careened off of a bridge ah, and went over a yeah. in a pot of orcas it's the only you know not like in the wild case of orcas eating human being was a trucker and that was the guy
2: well when i went up to alaska one of the people that i met on my first trip up there was harlow and who
0: we're gonna have on today oh man not a serial so killer not a truck special. driver badass dude
2: i mean if he's a serial killer i'm so impressed like it, <laughs> wow harlow what a cover. incredible <laughs> what work like you're not just a passing citizen you're you're the best one of the best humans ever and you eat people
0: <laughs> well the serial killer and cannibal are t- two different things Daniel. <clears throat> Not always not always, but some, you know, <laughs> like-
2: point. I was trying to fill in details, man. You're asking me and challenging you're get, me in front of
0: Okay, you're getting a little better. So what, what better.
2: are you excited about with this guy? Because you don't know him. You don't know a lot about him. You know, he's someone I brought to the table.
0: <clears throat> yep. Well, first of all, I've got a cool ass name. Harlow's a rad name. I don't know why great. I'm into it, but I think Agreed. that's a, that's a totally seasoned great. name, man. That's yeah. cast iron, <laughs> it, like passed down cast iron, well-seasoned that. name. I like that. <laughs> and then uh and then he lived in the wilderness with his family as a kid like they ate like had to live off the land yeah sustenance sustenance
2: subsistence subsistence subsistence
0: Substitute but, teacher. Uh,
2: substitute. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of got you. I hope you develop like a Tourette's kind of tic where you have to get all the words that you want, I do. You out. just <laughs> saw it. That's awesome. It's not developed. <laughs> just, it's there. Don't suppress that. Don't suppress that. Please do that more. It's very charming. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the other day when, when I was talking about Eddie Cola, one of our guests. <laughs> This dude, you cracked me up. I was like, Eddie, I said Eddie Cola, and then I go Eddie Cola. I was, I was like Ricola, and you're yeah, like, you too. had to get that one out, didn't you? I was
0: like, yes. I, I'm i glad you did because I was about to do it. I was it was <laughs> on the tip of my brain. I had, I was gonna stand up and like yell it.
2: That's awesome. That's awesome.
0: It's like the scene in um, what is that? Uh, Austin Powers, where the guy has the mole on his face, and he's like <laughs> mole, 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 mole. mole. <laughs> it happens (laughs) so uh, the other thing i'm i mean harlow is a very accomplished athlete and sounds like not only that but he's a stand-up human being he's done a lot of good for his home state and it comes from some pretty badass uh wilderness lineage as does his wife
2: oh his fucking dad and his uh father-in-law What's his dad's name I don't remember his dad's name, but I've I've spent time with. Him. I haven't seen Harlow in 12, thirteen years. You know? Yeah, I just haven't been up since huh. since, since yeah since uh, so. But his father his uh, father in law is Dave Johnson, and this guy was one of the first was was on the uh, expedition that first summoned Denali, mm. uh, the highest mountain in Alaska and the highest mountain in North America for the first ascent in the wintertime and the Whoa. book that was written about that is called minus 148 because that's what they were fucking dealing with brother and there was a dude who died on that Goosebumps, fell in and died So you know, harlow's family intense. and harlow's i was driving one time to an epic race called mount marathon which i really hope we we talk about mm-hmm. and with dave and his son and we're winding our way through the alaskan um wilderness and dave's like he's this bumbly big bearded kind of high-pitched voice he's like six six and he's like oh first summited that peak named it you know bear mountain whatever back in 1970 and oh first sum i was on the first summit of this peak <laughs> it was just like damn. damn so all right let's just have fun with this one because harlow's uh, i just there's so much we can talk about
0: cool well he's here let's let him in
2: let's fucking do it
0: Harlow Robinson, you are an accomplished mountain runner and the founding member of the Alaska Sports Hall of Fame. Since 2006, you worked as direct care staff and board member with Healthy Futures, a statewide program that helps thousands of at-risk youth around Alaska build self-esteem and life skills. You grew up living a subsistence lifestyle in remote Alaska until third grade. And in 1973, your family was the subject of the Alaska Family Robinson article national geographic your kiwi wife gina and you spend a substantial amount of time in new zealand and both of your fathers are renowned mountain climbers you've raced dozens of alaskan mountain races and wilderness races and won several including both the winter and summer alaska wilderness races an unsupported 100 to 200 mile point to point race through the alaskan wilderness you also did the trans alpine stage race in europe which is about 200 miles over a span of eight days through and over the European Alps. Additionally, after many years and many attempts, you completed the 12 Peak Challenge, a 24-hour race that links the 12 5,000-foot mountains and the Chugach Range overlooking Anchorage, Alaska. Harlow, in the past five years, you have experienced life passing by, to use your own words, untapped. And so, in that time, You've changed some of your personal paradigms. This effort required acceptance, commitment, a new level of honesty with yourself, personal vulnerability, and has revealed wonderful and surprising layers. Harlow Robinson, welcome to Cutting for Sign.
3: Hey, well, it's great to be here with you guys. And yeah. uh, that was quite an introduction, man. It made me uh, stop and uh, reflect on. Uh, May, made me tired just hearing about all that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Not what I was going to expect you to say. Awesome. Uh, it made me stop I was and look. Exhausted. I'm really I was <laughs> exhausted listening to that. <laughs> That's Fucking great. You know. You know what? Uh, one of
0: the things that we do for our guests is you can also have that for your epitaph if you need to. Like,
3: <laughs> put that up there. Yeah. Well, I, you know, Dan. Dan asked me to just kind of type up a few things, and then I felt a little self self-important or self-absorbed and then I was like well here's some bullet points and then I just kind of went with it and I'm like oh man hopefully and then it Dan gave me doesn't seven think I'm pages, getting so too know, full man. of myself here God. but it was a, it was a fun <laughs> exercise to kind of look what were the flashpoints of uh my my life so far and that's kind of what I, I think those were the big ones
2: you know it was kind of an emotional experience uh because uh so there's a compliment I, I've, I've been saying about you for several years, that I don't think I've ever told you, which is I have this like morbid part of myself that imagines being stuck on a desert island in all kinds of situations and then what life would be like. And part of me really wants that to happen. Like, what kind of foods would I bring? And one of the things that I think about is what type of people, what if I had to have like five people to hang out you would be one of my five people that would that I would choose to be stuck on a desert island with. So... Wow! Here with that, what you will? <laughs> yeah,
3: no, that's nice, Dan. I don't know, man. You might want to pick someone with more meat on their bone. Yeah, I was gonna say the same thing. He'd eat you immediately, Daniel.
2: <laughs> well,
3: no, that's a that's a nice compliment, though. I, hopefully, that never happens. But, um, well, I like the, the idea.
2: You know, uh, part of the reason for that is is you. I knew you at a really influential time in my life. You know, like those early twenties. Um, I was doing a lot of changing and reflecting and transitioning from being a pretty obsessive distance runner and a pretty wounded soul to, um, you know, just to something that they can live life and survive and thrive a little bit more. And so I, you know, you, I've stayed many nights and weeks at your house and, and spent time with your family and you've just been uh, a really good influence on, on me, man.
3: Yeah. Thanks, Dan. That was really great to know you in that time and You know, I could tell you're going, I mean, you were very open. That's one thing you you probably still are very open about your stuff you're going through. And, um, you know, I was just not too much older than you and had gone through similar things myself. So, you know, had a lot of empathy and (laughs) open our doors and say, just, you know, take some time (laughs)
2: yeah Mm -hmm.
3: yeah thank uh, you man don't stress too much let's get out for a run and uh you know sometimes i feel like young people don't feel like they have to figure it all out in a in a short period of time and it's true hopefully i helped you give you some space and maybe a little time
2: yeah yeah you know it'd be great is to come up sometime and celebrate some of the uh fruits of the labors of life you know i i miss miss you and your family that's every once in a while i have someone on the podcast or we do i invite someone selfishly who has lived the life that the type of life that we focus on and we uh, learn about and are curious about with this podcast but also it's, it's just a way for me to spend some quality time with someone I really miss. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> and, uh,
0: Daniel, why is your mom on the
2: podcast again for the third time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, Cause I'm a <laughs> <son>. <laughs> Yeah. So no, we'd anyways, love
3: to love to have you back anytime, Dan. There's always a, always space.
2: Well, these days I travel, I make travel work travel. So uh, maybe I'll, I'll have to do some pitching for, guests in Alaska and and uh sell some art up there somehow and then I'll come up and, and call it a business trip. That that sounds good. Let's
3: do it. As <laughs> matter of fact I think the last time you were up here you were you were coming up for the you know, the uh theater um
2: the conference in Valdez, right? Yeah, yeah the last frontier theater conference one of the more that, unique. that was
0: the last time you were there Daniel?
2: Dude 2010. Can we get into that a little bit? I mean we can get into whatever we want but the last time i saw harlow was one of the hardest was the hardest day of my life
0: i mean undoubtedly we're we're listeners to listeners who don't know i i don't want to like go ahead pop the you know crank the jack in the box here but you you had a you had not you had what equates to as strong of a mental breakdown as a human can go through a hundred percent. Yeah. experienced that. Induced by, psychotic induced psychotic by some psycho, some, some pot, pot brownie, Yeah. which <laughs> several. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, dear listeners, the only time in my
3: life that I've ever wanted to be like on high is after eating
0: <laughs> some edibles. Like they're
1: very strong. I
3: feel like the brownies are, are, you know, one of the most dangerous drugs yeah. out there because yeah. they, you know, they seem so harmless, I think maybe, and they yeah. taste so good.
2: Exactly. There's
3: that that whole issue with the lapse, and you know, you're like, oh, I'm not really feeling anything, and um, well, when, so you eat some more. You eat some
0: more, when, thinking like, yeah. oh, this is. I don't feel anything. I'm fine.
2: Plus, when, as I understand it, uh, chemically, your body, your brain, and body metabolize eating marijuana in a way that's similar to psycho uh, to a psychedelic. So it, it it and that's what I experienced. And anyways, we don't need to get into the details of that, but um long story short, I had something that drastically changed the direction of my life happen um on a particular day in two thousand ten, May twenty fourth, two thousand ten. And and then I got through it. It was a several hour experience. It was diagnosed later as a drug induced psychotic break and it, it I was sure that it was gonna take me out. I just couldn't I, I We've talked about it on other podcasts, so I won't totally go into it. But what's crazy, uh, Harlow, is that I was on my way from Valdez on a the five-hour drive from Valdez to your house was when that, that happened. Because I took the marijuana brownie to cruise through uh, or several brownies to cruise through the – enjoy the drive with a friend of mine. And so – and it took about five hours of <laughs> the whole thing to get through. So by the time I got to your house, I was fine. <laughs> like it went from hell to all good and you and i remember we had this great salmon uh dinner and hung out with you and gina we laughed drank some wine or something i don't know if i drank that night but like you you never would have known i probably told you about it. i don't know do did you, you tell her? yeah
3: I, I feel like you know this story is familiar um yeah and that yeah, and I, I'd be surprised if you didn't share, unless you were self-conscious about it or, or something. But um, yeah, no, I, I I recall that, Dan.
2: That that day ended up within a couple months causing my mother's, by hook or by crook, my mother's 27-year-old uh, murder case, cold case to be reopened. And it, it took the inner contents of my life and all... All of this story of witnessing her murder and her body never being found, and and I did this all happen when I was four years old, which is a really interesting, as you would know, having raised a couple of you know a few children, is such an interesting twilight time of understanding what's going on in the world. You're very awake, but you're also you know not gonna probably remember most things. And it just took this whole identity that I had and, and exploded it out into the world. And it ended up being the greatest adventure of my life. It was unbelievable. It led to really good things, but the catalyst, the initial thing that happened was, was that fucking day. It was the last time I saw your face in any type yeah. of person. Well, I'm actually really uncomfortable. Can we end this call? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Harlow, we're actually doing a project with uh, another podcast, uh, uh, group down in the bay area about his story i mean this is it's, a, it's turning into a quite a quite an ordeal so we may call you call on you again and the <laughs> guy an expert eyewitness <laughs> the guy
2: that i drove with who gave me the brownies we'll who won't talk winged, to you anymore <laughs> winged, no, who winged me <clears throat> through the experience and was an angel in a lot of ways yeah i've been in con he's still up in alaska i've been in contact oh, with really? him relatively recently yeah yeah because i for the podcast i was like do you want to come on and potentially be you know tell mm-hmm. me your what do you remember he has a totally different memory of it than oh, i do wow. oh, yeah it's wicked it's wicked but oh, wow. anyways all that's neither here nor there. That's, that's a. I just you know that was a big a big day and it was the last time i saw you but <clears throat> um i'm really curious it sounds like your life has changed quite a bit since i knew you last and i was a little confused about what you do and had done for, uh, working with troubled youth is we've had a couple of people on here who have done that for their careers and their lives. And yeah, just catch me up a little bit where are you at what's going on. Sure.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, I was in, in social work for, uh, about 15 years. And, um, now I, I work with all, all youth. um, oh. you know, my, the, the program that I, I founded, um, you know, like you were saying in the intro, a, a non profit and, and what's the name of it again? Well, the Alaska Sports Hall of Fame is the nonprofit, but then mm-hmm. within that we have a pro and and kind of like you know, I've always been involved in sports and I always seen um and known there's a real positive positive values to sports, not not just for people that are elite athletes or become professionals or coaches or anything, but just kind of to instill, um, you know, life skills, you know, learn skills that translate to life. And uh, so I wanted to start something that could really promote that. And um, so when the Alaska Sports Hall of Fame was established, we um, we built this program called Healthy Futures up um, to – Now it's a a statewide program where, you know, in short, it just encourages kids to be active. And, um, you know, it's primarily goes through the school system and um, kids can complete activity logs. Um, We connect role model athletes with kids through, you know, going, showing up at events, community <laughs> events, and assemblies and stuff like that. So. And
2: what, you know, I followed, uh, the Alaska sports hall of fame, like it pops up on, you know, on, on the socials, uh, pretty often. And what a unique, thing to have started that must have put you into so much contact with interesting people and it sounds like also be a platform for you to do some good in the community that's just what a what a great little move you know what i mean like i love when people like this podcast you know it's just enriched our lives so much
3: i gotta say you know you know like any kid that was in sports and involved i i idolized some athletes growing up some of them alaskan some you know more, more universally known but then you get it's to a rotten. certain age and you realize they're just humans and um <laughs> you know and yeah. and i had a i had some apprehension about doing any of this because you know i i, I didn't want it to be just about putting plaques on the walls and I really didn't want to induct an asshole, you know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh. Have you had had to, to do that like, though. Put
3: the boots in any way, like I'm not a, kid, yeah. a boot kisser, and um, you know, you can avoid a lot of that by, you know, creating criteria that just kind of is like nice. we're not inducting assholes. <laughs> so you could know? be an excellent That's cool.
2: athlete, but not. <laughs> Be inducted because there's more to being in a sports yeah. yeah, I mean, awesome. we did
3: write in some criteria that it's basically cri- uh, character criteria, mm. and you know, there's yeah, only so much solid. you can do. Like you know, has your
1: that has, it
3: has kind of worried me that some of the people that we have inducted, you know, they what yeah. if they you know do something heinous later in their life? Not you know, not that I, I, I think any of them will, that, yeah. but. <laughs> Um, but you know, all that said, um, yes, it, it's been, um, it's been a really cool part of my life is to get to know some of the famous Alaskan athletes. Um, some of them I consider friends now. And, and I will say most of them have been other really amazing, uh, we're having an earthquake here. I don't know Whoa. if you can see that. Are you serious there's an earthquake
1: right, happening right it. now
3: yeah we just had an earthquake i don't know if you can see i've got some uh fish hanging from the Whoa. scene in there and oh, if you can see them moving or not
0: <laughs> ever so gently holy shit! Yeah. it was is a tra- kind of normal for you guys
3: <laughs> do you need to go you check are, anything <laughs> we are as are you guys probably we're on that pacific rim, so yeah. yeah i guess it is fairly
2: normal like one of the most, the strangest moments of my life, I was going to school at UAA, University of Alaska, Anchorage, and I was up in the library, and the library just was started swaying. But it was so, it wasn't like jolting. It was this earthquake that was just this really gentle, but like queasy almost.
1: Hmm.
2: It made that, because I was up a couple of stories. Anyways, yeah, that's fun. yeah. The world is alive.
1: Yeah, yeah, no,
3: it's... uh. It's cool. I, I I don't mind the tremors. I actually kind of enjoy them. It's just when they, you know, when the picture frames start falling off the wall, that's when you, you should probably start getting.
2: Well, you, you know, living in Alaska and we don't need to get into this, like the kind of obvious, you know, a uh, little conversation just about how amazing Alaska is and interesting, but you've, you've been frontline to quite a bit of uh, nature and, I was curious when you're roaming out, if you're spending 12 years bringing kids out into the wilderness to some extent, have you had some run-ins with them with, with bear and all that?
3: Um, yeah, you know, right. In, the uh, my, my, I think the uh, statute of limitations has passed. So
1: uh, <laughs> when I yeah. worked with
3: I will say, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I was I was in the world of working with at-risk youth for quite a while, and I was not qualified for that work. Um, I know in retrospect, uh, the the population that we're working with are, you know, kids that many of them have had severe uh, abuse and neglect in their past, and um you know when you go through the interview process they you know you got a college degree you know you, you check a few boxes and um you get oriented up and two weeks later they're turning you loose essentially with mm-hmm. um you know with with kids that you, you can't even begin to comprehend or know how to to uh work with them in a therapeutic way and at least that's how it was for me at the start and uh but I you know, but yes i i did um I did go on to learn a lot and i and I started this um outdoor based um experiential program for for teens and younger kids and and yeah, we did get into some um to answer your question Dan's, we got into some um semi sketchy situations, none with a bear. Um, I do remember uh, moose. Yeah, um, nice. Moose can be um, <clears throat> just as dangerous, or or more so than bears. They're, they they um, they get ornery and then they charge. <laughs> mm-hmm. And in the the school of of thinking with uh, moose encounters, is you get behind a tree. Um, of course, if you're a group, with a group of twelve kids. And there's only a couple of trees around. You, know, you start realizing <laughs> you start throwing moose, elbows. Moose is going to have easy pickings of somebody. You know? So yeah,
2: you're like, yeah. Uh, we know that you checked some boxes, Harlow, but you threw three kids into the <laughs> pathway of a charging moose to stand behind a little itty bitty right. playing for yourself. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> it reminds me of Dan Bigley. Yeah. Uh, so Ron, this guy. Well, why don't you tell the story? Uh, I think you, I, I don't know the details as much.
3: Yeah, yeah, I probably could have put Dan Bigley on my um, on my um, list of bullet points. As a matter of fact, he would be an amazing um, podcast guest yeah. for you guys. Sometimes he, he um, one of his side hustles now, is he travels around the country and, and does um, does talks, um, and he's a phenomenal. Hmm speaker he really is he's he's tremendous but uh when i first met dan um i hired him um to work as a um a direct care staff with kids like the like the same kids oh. I'm, I'm describing um i went on to kind of supervise this program and he uh he was just this young uh we called him the golden boy actually he uh, <laughs> he was just uh he was he had golden hair, but he also just had a golden personality. He was oh. just uh, you know, those those types of people that just like exude um, positive energy yeah. and yeah. Um, everyone he touched, you know, in the workplace, he'd spend just as much time talking to the the janitor as the CEO. You know, he just like everyone, he just rubbed off in a positive way on everyone. And um, so uh, he was um, he'd been working with us for six months or so. And, um, he went, um, he'd go fishing every night. He loved to fish and he, he drove down to the Kenai Peninsula one night after work and, um, um, got mauled by a grizzly bear. What? <laughs> and, yeah, it was, um, it, 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 I just happened to be in Colorado at the time for a wedding, and um, I was on the plane coming back, and, and got talking to someone. They said, "Oh, I was just on reading on CNN. There's a, you know, a bear mauling of this guy up in Alaska." And I was like, "Oh, wow, geez, that sounds bad." And and then um, I looked, and it was, you know, it was uh, Dan. And so, did he survive? Yes. So he survived and, um, his whole story, he wrote a book called beyond the bear and, um, it's, it's a tremendous book. I highly recommend it. He, he wanted badly to write a book, um, that wasn't a, um, sensational book about bear, a bear mauling. It certainly talks about that part of his life, but, um, more, more than anything, it talks about the, um, path that he took post mauling um uh,
2: real quick just for ron, some context.
3: yes yeah, sir
2: yeah just for some context like one thing that happened and correct me if i'm wrong harlow uh, ron is that he was blinded so he the last During the thing,
0: mauling, he gets you know, blinded he,
2: yeah so the yeah. last thing he ever saw was a bear banking around a corner to take him out that's so the last. he's lying right. now he's
0: bl- he, yeah the mauling he lost
3: his sight and that's the last visual memory he had damn that's exactly right he he was with a friend his friend was behind him and his friend by the way just has a lot of survivor's guilt because his mm-hmm, friend yeah. was able to he, dive off the trail you know and basically say, you know, bears come in and dive off the trail. And then Dan turned around and like Dan said, um, like he just said, he that was his last visual. And then and then he, um, you know, he 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 was stayed um, lucid the whole time. And he was kind of holding his face together in his hands. So the bear basically put his mouth around his head
1: <sighs>
3: and um, shook him around and whatnot and and he had you know i I, he had something like four of the seven arteries going to to the head and i i i might be misquoting this were severed and you know lost a lot of blood but he was he was a trained emt so he was he stayed um you know he didn't go into shock he stayed aware and he was actually walking his friend through everything he's like you know i get my sweatshirt and let's, you know, let's apply pressure and oh. holding everything together. And he I think the most kind of poignant moment in the in the um the experience that he shares is just that he knew it it would be extremely easy just to lie down and bleed out, basically. That's right. And um and he knew that he'd lost his eyes. <clears throat> so he said he just went through this really intense moment of um um, just processing and deciding to live or not and he thought about the the people that he loves and I think probably anyone that goes through traumatic, traumatic experience might go through something like that where they they think about the people they love and and he decided you know I need to try to live and and then he made this kind of packed with himself that, you know, my life's never going to be the same. He was an accomplished athlete and um, just a a real uh, active person. And he's like, he he kind of went through this whole kind of realization and understanding that my life's not going to be the same. um, If I live, it will be different. But I need to commit myself to living a full and um, positive, productive life and he he basically made this pact with himself on the spot you know hmm. minutes after the mauling and he <clears throat> stayed true to it it's just and probably really, seconds from
0: bleeding out if nothing had happened
3: like if right no you're it. right right yeah. you're right i mean it was only because some kind of emergency medical response by him and his friend they were able to keep him from um from dying on the spot and they he had his friend had to run to uh a place where there was cell phone um reception and get a helicopter met to him. and the whole process took hours for him to get to the hospital oh my god how did they um, get the bear to stop to, Like like you know, no typically with uh, at least with grizzly bears they they're not um typically attacking to kill their um the the bear had a couple uh cubs uh, and the bear was it was mama bear. And just basically saying, you know, stay away from my cubs. And, and once they kind of make their, their statement, they leave. So, mm. you, know, you know, it's, oh, it's a
2: real deal yeah. up there, Ron. Like yeah. the last, the last time I was at Harlow's house, a lady, literally the last time I was, well, no, the last time I was, it was that night, but you know, a year or two before that, I spent a few weeks and and there was a lady on a mountain, like a 24 hour mountain bike race a few right. miles away, and she got taken out. That's son. right. God.
3: That's right. Yeah, yeah. It, it, unfortunately, you know, it happens almost. I probably every summer there's um, there's a mauling or two, there's a bush plane crash or two, and it's a mm-hmm. uh, it's an inherent kind of an accepted risk. But but Dan uh, remain Dan Bigley remains a close friend. My oldest son Eli, my my wife Gina was pregnant at the time with our first. Kid and uh, his middle name is Daniel after Dan Bigley. And, um, you know, he we have a great friendship and um, he's now the clinical director of a, um, a youth service program in Alaska. He went back I, oh. it, when I was supervising him. He was just having a kind of a, a profound, like life changing career, a career changing transition like he was discovering how much he enjoyed working with this population he said yeah man i want to go back to school i want to get my master's degree and become a clinical therapist and he was really fired up and uh and he just stayed on that path you know and hmm. first he had to learn how to be blind and that that took a couple of years um get a seeing eye dog learn how to you know all you know you can imagine changes everything gosh
0: that is intense that's a but it sounds like because of his experience with you and what you started there you know you
3: changed his life and therefore the lives of many others i mean i played a small part i'm thankful for um those those six months with him and uh you know I remember, actually, he was um, <laughs> one of the last interactions I had with him as an employee. Um, you know, I told you I was going to Colorado and I talked with my wife and I said, you know, I, Dan, um, we we're looking for a house sitter and I said, Dan would be perfect. And it's like, I just don't know if it's professional, you know, he's, <laughs>
1: yeah.
3: uh, you know, he's my, he's my staff. and I. I, I think I, I don't want to put him in that position of asking him to feel house it and then have him feel pressured. And mm-hmm. and she's um, like, yeah, but, you know, he's a friend. He's seems like he's a friend more than he's like foundation, like beyond being a supervisor. You have a a, a
1: friendship
3: And I was like nah I don't think I I don't think I'm going to do that yet. Maybe, you know, maybe down the line or something. And I'm not going to put him in that position. And then of course, you know, whenever something tragic happens, you always think, you know, what if? And yeah, oh, man, if I just asked him to house it, the schedule would have changed. And mm. I went through a little bit of that at the time. But mm-hmm. but yeah, you know. He he now, you know, he's got he married the girl that he was dating at the time. She's amazing. Um, she stuck with him through the thick and thin, and they have a great family and he will tell you that he doesn't regret a thing. Like his life is incredible and vibrant, and he said, "I can't imagine having sight right now." Like, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, he really is optimistic. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, it is incredible. Wow, yeah, damn! I,
0: I was going to ask you, you know, some some success stories out of your out of your deal, but that sounds like. <laughs> about as good as it gets in there
3: yeah right? you know ron i guess like from that time in my life like that 15 years of social work um that does feel like a chapter um the, the other you know thing i will say that feels like a, a major success is every time a lot of the 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 people that were children when i worked with them I'll run into them in, uh, in town, you know, around Anchorage and in the community and they're grown, you know, yeah, all grown up and they have families and lives and careers and, and it'll just be random and unexpected. And, um, you know, like the most recent one I can remember is, uh, this, this guy, Zach and he's, um, uh, uh manager of uh, the riley's auto parts store (laughs) and i walked in and he said is it harlow and is that zach and and then you know and then they go on to say man you know that you made such a difference and you know that time we did this or that the things that i can't remember they remember profoundly you know that time we're out in the trail and that moose was on the trail mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever, you know, um, or, or just sharing little things like, you know, I, you know, that experience we had where we went on, a, we climbed the mountain um, that changed my whole life. I, you know, I, you know, it introduced me to a whole new part of life that I, you know, I, I never would have had. So those are really re I would consider those the the biggest kind of successes of that chapter of my life is just like knowing you know in the moment when you're you're doing that work it's pretty thankless but um those those rewards you get later are pretty special
2: you know uh, sounds like it we've had like i said we've had a couple of people my good friend david who i don't think you've ever met but he's doing the same job and rising through the ranks of that becoming a a more of a clinical therapist or at least being in that role instead of the boots on the ground, like getting spit on and and kicked, you know, (laughs) but he spent about 10 years getting spit on and kicked. And, uh, you know, he, well, it's been amazing. I lived for three years with him while he was going, while he was coming home from 12 hours of helping a group of 10 plus or minus kids get through the day, you know, keeping them safe, consistent, predictable, you know, providing that environment. And I got to see him change as a human and how learning how to take care and provide a safe, consistent, predictable environment for these these little humans, how that affected how he takes care of himself and, and others in other circumstances. And it was a pretty clear trans, uh, transformation in him and how it changed the way he spoke and the, how it changed the way he treated me and whenever there was conflict with people around him they not having to do with work those skills would still come in and they they really enriched his life and enriched that journey that he's on which is growing up and maturing as a human and I know when I was asking you for information I was really appreciative that you shared in the last five years or so uh, that you've I was surprised to be honest, Harlow, cause you, you seem like you have everything together, you know, and I I'm, I understand that people don't, you know, even when they seem like they do, but it's still amazing when someone who is like the top, like the reason I wouldn't like to be stranded on a desert Island, I wouldn't like to, but <laughs> you would be one of those people is cause, you know, you got calm, cool, collected, you're intelligent, you can survive, you know, and you've got a good attitude, you know, at least in that, the Harlow I see, but I was curious, you know, if you could, you know, share a little bit around this therapeutic journey that you've gone on and also how your experience for 12 years helping a bunch of traumatized kids, kids has informed that.
3: Yeah, well, that's a that's a tough question to answer. Um, so I, I feel like you're describing your friend, Dan, and I probably went through a similar phase in my life. You know, I was kind of a, a little bit of a lost soul in my 20s and um, just seeking meaning, you know, seeking something a little deeper than what I was doing. And, and, and it really that time that I had working in, in the social work field was really life-changing for me at the, and it, it gave me all incredible amount of meaning. And, and, and once I, and once I got down that path, everything changed, like my self-confidence, my, um, just joy for life and, um, you know, excited to get up and go about my day and, um, you know, it, like it, it transcended to everything else in my life. Um, just having that, that, um, you know, before that I'd been living as a ski bum with my college degree, I was, got married and I was, I was happy in a lot of superficial ways and beyond superficial. I mean, I, my wife would probably be upset if she, you know, I was, I was in love and I had um had a lot of good things going, but, you know, I still felt like, what am I doing with my life? And then, you know, so I, so I went through that, that phase and uh, you know, and then, and then your life proceeds and you, you shift gears and you, there's kind of a Peter principle that happens with social work, like probably a lot of things where you
1: the
3: thing that you 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 go into it for like working with kids, you end up kind of graduating on to more administrative work and managerial and and then at some point you're like, what am I doing here, you know, and um, so I, I think, you know, what happened with me in my 50s is probably similar to what happened with me in my 20s in some way is that You know, I I don't think life, and I've been learning this over my course of my life, is that it's not a a straight trend line. It's, Mm. there's a lot of peaks and valleys. And, um, you know, the, the, that I would say that those years in social work were, were a, were a really high peak. And, and then there were some valleys. And then, you know, in the last, um, several years um i would say I, I hit some some other peaks and they were for different reasons but, well when,
2: what kind of caught my attention to what you i'm going to assume so stop me if you um uh, you know but i'm going to assume that you're okay with me talking about this since i asked you for stuff about an intro and you sent that this information sure, yeah, in yeah. response to that yeah but. this is on the record
0: information <laughs> but you Absolutely. were
2: saying you were talking about and I actually don't, this word is like kind of got some baggage now, but that idea of vulnerability. So Mm -hmm. what is vulnerability, right? What is was honesty, Um, you know, it's a a version of honesty, but also an ability to share what's really going on in oneself with other people and potentially the world. And, And you mentioned that, and I never really knew that that might not be something you were comfortable with and then you were talking about your therapist being like a really manly man, like a man's man. Mm-hmm. And you're like, if this guy can be a vulnerable, then I can. And I, to be honest, man, I was surprised to hear that from you because I didn't never see those, those being hangups of yours. But yeah, but I understand that we're all, all kinds of different ways that the world never sees. So sure. I was hoping you could speak to that a little
3: bit. Yeah. No, you're right, Dan. I mean, it's not like I just transitioned from manly man to sensitive man. Um, (laughs) I've always valued being vulnerable and um, in tune with my feelings. But, um, you know, I I just think you go through life. And um, one of the things that's helped me probably often with a lot of aspects of life is a little bit of irrational confidence, I guess, or... You know, just maybe a little bit of, um,
0: I think, yeah. uh, I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt you on that one, because, <clears throat> you know, knowing a tiny little bit about how you were raised kind of, you know, just even living in the wilderness for the formative years of your life that creates, I think a certain kind of grit that most people don't have, will not have access to because they don't know what it's like to have like real constraints around suffering. Right, like the kids you worked with suffered there was no constraints around that suffering it was it was trauma it was yeah right you had some healthy constraints I, I i feel like i can speak to this a little bit because i ran into a guy back in 2019 who helped me climb half dome we were perfect strangers we met in a parking lot the next day we're on the wall and we're blasting through it and turns out this kid grew up in Germany very similar to you like he's like if we were cold our parents made us go chop wood and bring it in <laughs> and so we just learned how to be cold because chopping wood wasn't that fun and there was a certain kind of like joy and grit about him and i and i think that i see that in the little bit of time i get to see you right now like there's cert- there's a certain kind of um yeah and I, I don't want to add any more words yeah. to it yeah um, it comes through <laughs>
3: thanks, no, Ron. I guess you know there's probably some you probably nailed something there. Um, you know, like learning to, to deal with adversity in a, a nurturing environment. There's tons of value in that if if you as a child get that experience, I think it it's it's really um valuable for but sure. What,
2: but yeah. like I like to get specific about stuff because because one thing one of the reasons we do this podcast is, you know, it's not a I, I read this really cool quote the other day it actually came from this crazy book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, yeah. so <laughs> and sure. the this person was being I think it was the creator of the universe was being was chatting with one of the main characters. And he said he said, essentially, um, that you your life, the advice that you give should be always measured against the quality of life that you're living. <laughs> you know? So if I'm going to listen to somebody, yeah, it's like, how is your life going? And then, and then maybe I'll measure that against what you just said. And then the person is a pretty funny little moment. The person was like, so why did you listen to this lady's advice? Her life's a fucking wreck. And he goes, because she told me to do the opposite of everything she did. <laughs> <laughs> and so so yeah. the the reason I mentioned that is because like Ron's and my lives are very good and, and rich you know in in many ways at the same time we're also improving in some ways that have been hang-ups for us you know and that I wouldn't want other people to like look up to you know um so this is an in process we're showing our process of of growing up you know and it's not going to be very interesting to a lot of people because we're not the end result or we're not even at a result that would be like widely you know like rich and famous and all that stuff it's all inward improvements that are like growing deep roots you know that's and the watering of those roots and the development of those roots and the process of that is what's valuable for me and for our listeners And so what that leads, what that, how that affects my values in in these conversations is how does it actually look like? How does the things that you're talking about gaining some sense of an increased sense of vulnerability and experience of vulnerability and honesty, and then, you know, more layers of your life are being exposed, what does that actually look like?
3: Yeah. Well... First off, shout out to Mike Blakey, my, my therapist, man, that he's the manly man I was telling you about. He, you can Google him. And he, he was a linebacker for the university of Oregon. And um, there's a one YouTube clip that comes up where he's sacking Troy Aikman. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> and Like, and they mispronounce his name and everything, but you know, <laughs> and, and, If you know Mike, you'll really appreciate it because, you know, a lot of people in that, that kind of level of athleticism, you know, they might be like doing a dance or pumping their fists. He just turns around and calmly walks back to the huddle, you know, like it was just another day. And he was also a uh, state champion wrestler and he's, he's just a, he's just an incredible athlete and a big, a big man. Um, but, um, when a person like that tells you that he learned how to cry every day, or like not necessarily every day, but to you know learn how to cry and be in and understand that it's important, um I think maybe uh. For me like you talk about vulnerability um it's some of those emotions that um they're, they're easy to stuff like you know like it, life in our in our society we're encouraged to there's pressure to be successful to appear successful to the outside world
1: yeah
3: and you get re, re um affirmation when you do um so sometimes you're on that track and, and uh, the other emotions that you might be dealing with, they, they might get repressed. And um, one of the things Mike always said to me is, if you want to feel better, you need to feel better. And I, I didn't really understand at first, but, you know, he helped me. I'm a terrible meditator. Um, Do you mean do you mean feel better? Do you mean like learn how to feel things like feel
0: your feelings? Okay. Yeah.
3: Yes. Learn how to feel things. Um, And so for me, you know, I'm not telling you that I figured it all out by any stretch, but um, the the five years of therapy or so that I and honestly, therapy for us now, like he's evolved into um, somebody that I consider a good friend. And I was like, is this okay? Like,
1: <laughs>
3: said, you're paying for it, man. It's your time. But um, <laughs> sometimes we just chat about our families and stuff. And, uh, but but I still feel like, you know, having wellness checks with him is really important. Yeah. Um, and then other times we get really deep.
2: So what's an example of feelings that you have feel more effectively now that you wouldn't have felt five or 10 years ago?
3: Um it just um, things like, um, uh, you know, it, in simple terms, sadness, hmm. <laughs> um, you know, you talked about how you seem like you got it all together. It's it's easy for people that have, you know, are um, kind of viewed as positive. Um Yeah outgoing, charismatic, whatever people to, you know, you, you you, you don't, you, you don't, um, nurture those other emotions. Um, you know, we're all, we're obviously we're all on a journey. I, I, you know, if you want to get a little more personal, I'm not a religious yes, person. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, um, I don't have a strong kind of foundation in spirituality um certainly not in religion so you know when when we're searching for meaning in life like i eh, eh, you know I, I want to you know i i think like part of it you could probably call it a midlife crisis but you get to a certain stage in life and you can see you've got fewer years ahead of you than behind you and you like you know i, I think i I'll, alluded it it, to it in my, what I wrote you, like the feeling that, um, you know, life is screaming by and, um, you know, I just really, really wanted to slow things down and, um, um, learn how to learn, how to kind of make time slow down a little bit. And, um, I feel like that's something I've been able to do and how, well, by, um, the process of, um, you know, it in simple terms, just uh, reflection, meditation, um, mm-hmm. examination, um, stopping. And, and for me, like, if I try to roll out a mat in my living room and put on some music and light candles, it feels too artificial. Um, so part of the trick for me was learning how to structure it into my day to day life, um, we have these yeah. micro moments, um, you know, you're, you're in your car um, at a stoplight, like, so what, that's one of the things that I've learned is um, find little moments that trigger, like, uh, trigger you in a good way, or are the, cues. Um, and like being at a stoplight. I, oh, hey, I've got a couple minutes. Let me um, yeah. examine it and, and think about um, the feelings I'm having.
2: Hmm. Um,
3: yeah, I, it just, I think it just being more uh, emotionally articulate. Um, it, it, so I like being, that. I guess, maybe curious, um, learning to be curious and making time to be curious. Because um, what that, how that manifests, you know. So I'm a father. I've got two sons. One of my fears is that they grow up and leave, like the Harry Chapin song, um, you know, the Cats in the Cradle. Yeah. They grow up and yeah. leave, and, and then you're like, oh, we, I miss, I miss that opportunity. And so you know, I, I, those stoplight moments, or whatever it is, or other moments, like those little moments in life between things that come up all through your day i stop and I, um, reflect and, and examine, uh, I learn, learning to be curious and examine what it is I'm feeling. And then the other part of that is to act on it. And, um, so that's the hardest part really is like, you know, um, to have the courage to tell your son, Hey, you know, I, you know, I really, um, I don't tell you this enough but i but i really love you and i um you know sometimes i'm not as you know i i wish i were stronger in providing you this or that or or these moments and i'm i'm using my son as an example but it could be anyone in in your life that you care about your your spouse your your friend, and what was it? What was so it? So, those what moments, was, I think, yeah. in the past, Dan, you know, I, I may be a little more cavalier about those things. And I, I mentioned the the term irrational confidence. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. yes, I certainly was living life as a caring person that um, tried to be sensitive to other people. But when I talk about layers, like that's just. That's, to me, I feel like I'm learning to be more authentic and sometimes it's, it's, it means, you know, sharing my, my weaknesses and and revealing my weaknesses as, as, as well as my strengths. So what were a couple of the things
0: that, that were the cues and clues for you to realize maybe therapy is something I need? Was it something, you know, going on your per- like interpersonally? Was there like, was there like a strong uh, thing that was going on in your life? Like marriage troubles or something like,
3: you know, probably more of a slow percolating than uh, like any kind of defining moment other than ironically, or maybe not coincidentally. Um, I just turned 50 that year. And I also, by the way, uh- you look like you're about 41. <laughs>
2: Thanks, <laughs> man. Yeah, Yeah, seriously, you have an age that's Alaska living. I was thinking that same thing cold
3: water therapy, eating wild game, Yeah. (laughs) climbing mountains. Check it out. I don't know if you can see, Dan, but there's some, uh, yeah, there's the mountains out the door there.
1: They're still there.
3: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, Ron, I think um, some of it might have been a just classic midlife crisis. these milestone things. Oh, 20 year my turn 50 and have my 20-year wedding anniversary in the within a span of a of a month and mm. um or within a within a year's period, anyways. And um, you know, I think you just kind of want to take stock and it, but there've been a the, kind of a slow percolating feeling of like, yeah, you know, going through the motions here. But I will say kind of like you're talking uh, uh alluding to dan that hey you know you you've you've been doing you, your life is, doesn't seem that bad and and my therapist i came in with this like i just want to rip it all down and start from the bottom and and build it back up and he's like whoa be careful <laughs> be careful with that it seems like you got some good things going right like you know you, let's let's just take this slow and i appreciate that because Mm. i think when you're in um you know i i can genuinely say i was depressed really depressed and that's a you know man well you can do terrible things or make some big mistakes when you're depressed Mm so um
2: so you would like you were like in a place where you wanted to when and i i don't i like when people say i want to burn it all down one of the things i talk about with my week is like I'm putting it in like sixty hour weeks right now on an art on, on art, which is a lot to be doing for an art show. And by the time the weekend comes, I was telling a friend, that that therapeutic, that other therapist, my friend David, I was telling him, like, I, I wanna burn it all down. Like by the end of the week, what I just mean is like, I wanna blow off steam, become present and kind of have a reset. And there's that version in life, you know, too, where you just want to like move to a new city and not be in a relationship that you've been in and have a new job and and go somewhere where no one knows you. These are how that might look like for me. But I think there's a little value, uh, at least in I'm curious, what would have burning it down looked like? And have you have you been able to not be so extreme with any adjustments you've made in your life, but still have a reset?
3: Yeah. I feel like, well, I took care of some of the immediate, like, you know, to go along with being fairly deeply depressed. Um, I was sleeping terribly, really terribly. Um, And sleep had been a challenge for me. It was getting worse, honestly, Mm. over the course of my adult life. Oh, and man. I, along with that, had been medicating with things like Ambien and, um, you know, the, those kinds of prescription meds. And so took a really deep dive into that stuff, so in a kind of life hygiene stuff. Mm-hmm. And,
0: you did know, Mike, did you feel like, like you're on the cusp or maybe even into the blurred line of abusing that stuff? Totally, totally.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, which is very yeah, common. I, I by was, the way.
0: What's that? I said that's very common.
3: You know, um, we, we're in a world where we feel like there's a should be a pill for everything, and oh, yeah. and I was victim to that. It all started with my racing career, and I'd get anxiety before a race, and then I'd get, I'd get anxiety over not being able to sleep, and and it, what I'd end up doing was self sabotaging my my performance. Hmm i went to the doctor i was like i just want something to knock me out okay try this ambien it'll do the job and then Mm. it started slowly i would just use it for you know occasions where i needed it and then it 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 got like at the at that point where i was at a at a really low place i was um i was i couldn't sleep without it you know Mm -hmm. yeah is that uh,
2: what Abuse, abusing that doesn't sound like a very abusive relationship. Like, what is it? abuse? Is like to me, it would be like I'm using it several times a day or something. What does abusing ambient look
0: like? I think that's, I think the the, the phrase abuse is a very broad spectrum. Yeah. Like so would just be relying on it every night. Yeah. yeah. If you well, you know, so,
3: if I tried not to use it, I would just lie in bed until I finally would give up, you know, because mm-hmm. the prospect of no sleep was was so much worse um but um you know if you do that every night for uh a year or or whatever you're Mm -hmm. you you really you're it, it it's so much um so inferior to um organic sleep well,
2: it's helpful free
3: range, organic sleep. <laughs>
0: yeah. I
2: would love to know how you cleaned that. Up. I mean, I know we're yeah. skipping on the Oh so, yeah. Bit, I mean, yeah. So sleep's huge. How'd you clean it up? Sleep is
3: huge. Um, and that was probably one of the most important things that came out of the therapy and, 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 and my, my therapist, Mike, he is a very, very, um, uh, passionate or, um, his practice is very much aligned with, um, acceptance, commitment therapy, um, which is, um, which is a, a great form of therapy, but it's kind of the opposite of cognitive behavior therapy, where you you kind of learn these little tricks to trick your mind. Um, and he's like, you know, maybe i ought to try going to a sleep therapist and, um, you know, they, cause we tried some things, sleep hygiene. There's a lot of, there's a lot of real, you know, general practices that anyone that struggles street sleep is probably really familiar with about cutting back on your screen time and reading a book and doing, you know, there's a number of things you can do, but.
0: were you Out of curiosity, were you drinking a lot of caffeine too?
3: Yeah. I've always been, uh, always been a caffeine guy but i but i've always cut myself off about midday mm-hmm. um, so and i still drink a lot of caffeine and um i but i did i went to a sleep therapist a specialist and it's so crazy i i have to tell you um he went in there i went in there we did a uh, an assessment and he's like yeah you seem like you're kind of low on this you know you're you're definitely depressed and and we talked about how sleep was playing a part in that and he's like i've seen i've seen way worse cases than you you don't worry about it you're gonna get this it's we got this it's basically i got like a coach on a sports team going oh you can do this man i got that's awesome i got you man there's no problem um i didn't
2: know there was sleep therapists this is cool
3: Oh, it's, it's, it's amazing. And um, it's, that's
2: something I've that, just
0: learned about too. I heard somebody like a week ago, someone's over at our house for game night and they're telling us about it and
3: and their, and their success with it. So this It's is great. It's really, um, it was so much placebo. Um, <laughs> it's crazy. Like, Which works um, 50% of the time. <laughs> yeah. How so? How so? It, 50% so you, of the time.
2: It, it works we'll pick a weekend.
3: We'll pick a weekend where you don't have any, any stress, um, stressors, uh, or anything you need to be prepared for. Um, and you're just gonna get comfortable and do all your sleep hygiene stuff, and you're just gonna wait for sleep to come. And he, um, he also educated me quite a bit about, um, about the circadian rhythm schedule and, um, and just got me thinking about my, my body and, and my mind and, and trusting it to do its work and just stay out of the way, basically, because, hmm. you know, that the whole issue with sleep, sleep deprivation is you, you're just, you're fighting your brain. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, so I, you know, I, I did that and I it got to be about two in the morning and I was just about to give up. And I was like, Nope, don't give up. Don't give up um might have been three four in the morning i um all of a sudden i woke up and it was morning and i was like holy shit, i did it and it was Mm. the first time i'd organically fallen asleep in over a year and um wow unbelievable the next night i went to bed 10 o'clock whatever doing all my sleep hygiene i slept like freaking like a baby you know like nine hours and i never look back it's crazy like the last five years of my life not that they've you know not that my sleep is perfect but it's been the best five years of of my adult life of sleeping and it all goes back to just i don't want to say it's all placebo but it's um it's just kind of like um allowing your your trusting yourself and your body and and not trying to not trying to to fight your natural. So, um, do
2: you have a routine that gets you ready? And you no, know, you I
3: that? do. I'm not great at it because I do like to. I am kind of a night owl, and I like to go surf the web a little bit at night. And um, so, I, I need to be better. But the one thing, Dan, that I think has made a huge difference. I I was always uh, as a young adult and into my early 20s, I read a lot of novels. I just, I was an avid reader. And, um, and then as I got older, I was, I I got more into nonfiction, you know, survival stories. Um, and just like, you know, I go to bed and I might read a little magazine article or something. Um, and that was one of the the little, Sleep hygiene tricks um, that I picked up and I really held on to. In the last five years, I've just gone back to reading all the classic novels that I never read, um, new books. Um, just like I've always got a book by my bed and I escape into whatever it is. Um,
2: and that'll put you, that also puts you to bed though.
3: It just helps put me in a really good place.
2: Uh, huh. Yeah, it's awesome. <clears throat> You know, one one of the, I, I have a relationship with sleep that is not the best, and Ron and I, we were just joking about this recently, because I go to bed around two, you know, and I actually have a pretty good routine these days, I have a, a getting ready for bed routine, but it just happens to be a lot later and the thing is is that i'm fully engaged in life like more than i ever have been right now they're checking all the bo- a lot of boxes and like thriving but what happens is by the end of the day this happened last night i said uh ron a little voice memo just to, at the end of the night when i'm stretching it's just kind of part of my routine it's becoming part of my routine and i do that at about two in the morning sometimes three and he gets up around 3 <laughs> 30. and so oh and so we have this he's giving me shit he's like yeah I, I get up and you left me a message like 20 minutes ago yeah but but i mentioned it uh, because part of my evening routine and wind down has been get off the screen but listen to an audiobook. Mm-hmm. and then i'll put a timer on the audiobook and go to bed you know bedtime story but i think it actually keeps me up mm-hmm. you know keeps my brain up to some extent yeah and and I've have the I get got rid of my entire library. Used to be a voracious reader, and I got rid of I had a thousand books, and I got rid of all but like three or four of them. It was actually hugely liberating. I highly recommend it to a lot of people. But um, a guest of ours was one of my favorite. Books called *Reincarnation Blues*, which I highly recommend. I turned run right to it, and then I've listened. I've That's listened a fun to read. read you still like it, Harlow? Yeah. Cool. And then we and then we had the author on as a guest on the podcast, and it was one of our my favorite conversations that, that we've had. Well, that got me. I in that conversation, I asked him. I saw this other book that you wrote called *The Devil uh, Up Jumps the Devil*, and, and I was like, I couldn't find an audio version. He's like, Yeah, there's not one. And so, a couple of weeks ago, I tracked down the actual book and I bought it. And it's been sitting by my bed because I was like, I know I need to turn that corner of instead of listening, mm-hmm. reading again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's on, man. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna try that sometime in the next week. I'm not gonna put pressure on to do it tonight or anything, but like, it's been sitting by my bed for months, you know, for a month probably. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. I'll let you know how it works. I suspect it's gonna wind my ass down probably an hour earlier than I would.
1: Dude,
0: it's it like having a routine. I, I, I'm not in a great routine right now, but I've gone through really strong, healthy nighttime routines and, and it was pretty simple, um, but it involved like some weird ingredients. And, and one of those was a red light headlamp. So at a certain time at night, uh, my wife and I would like light candles in our bedroom to, to just not have any artificial light going but I can't read very well by a candlelight. And I've gone through years of like reading only Pulitzers or only, you know, classic novels or whatever. And and so I found a headlamp that I got a, a red light on and that helped a lot because I could read, it wouldn't stimulate my brain to thinking it's daylight or it needs to like, you know, produce those hormones that wakes us up. And I, at a certain point, I turn it off and go to sleep. And that was the the, the last part of that was, is I used to fight sleep. Like if I would feel tired, I would like, I've got to read one more page or I got to like do one other thing. And I would like sit there and kind of fight it. And uh, some years ago, I remember I remember this thought coming to my head, which was give yourself the gift of being tired and allowing yourself to go to sleep.
2: <laughs> it's like a little kid though. When you, they fight That's it tooth and nail.
0: Big time. Big you know? time. You're, it is like a little kid. My Both my kids hated naps. You know, now they love sleep. They're like, go to bed they love going to bed but they um man i remember like it was like such a gift like to like put my you know close my book and you know turn over and and go to sleep
2: i heard andrew huberman if you haven't uh seen him uh his stuff he's a, a, a stanford right or Harvard. yeah yeah stanford, stanford. professor at least it was at one point researcher just a brain brain scientist guy but his stuff seems like pretty rock solid compared to a lot of like pseudo stuff that's been going mm-hmm. around um, Andrew Huberman I highly recommend his work well cool. he 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 comes up on my feed every five fucking you know <laughs> scrolls like he's all over the place and and I think the world is loving everything we're starting to learn about the brain you know mm-hmm. it's just it's so great and he he had this one thing where he goes if you wake up at night and you turn an overhead light on particularly if it's that cool cool fluorescent light melatonin in your in your system goes away almost instantly oh wow and so I I was like oh so even like the bathroom even a warm bathroom light you know and and then of course the screen is that generally that blue light but night shifting I don't know if you 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 all do the night shift you know or uh, red shift your screen you know, just to get yeah, off through of the blue of that, and the brightness. Yeah. There's also this trick where the background of this whatever's behind the screen. Try not to have the screen brighter than the background behind it, mm-hmm. because that also dilates your eyes and it's like looking into into daylight. It's all these little tricks, and and I love it. I love this conversation. This is why I like to get specific. You know, around yeah, these conversations no. is like how does it show up in your life? You know,
0: the other the other thing that really worked for me. It, and you might, might do this Harlow is, is um, I kind of stumbled on this on my own. I just kind of like figured it would make sense. And, and that was to spend 10, 15. Sometimes I'd go even to a half hour stretching. I call it yoga, but if it's not, a, it's not a, you know, it doesn't look like a yoga class. <laughs> it's like my, my <laughs> version of what I like to do. And, and then I, then years later I read a book called, um, Oh shit. I forget the name of it. It's, it's by, a uh a canadian doctor and psychiatrist named uh gabor mate who specializes a lot in in, um, trauma and and i think i read a book on adhd because i got a late diagnosis in life like my late 30s and he said oh yeah stretching is like clinically proven to help um, an
3: overactive mind relax and get better sleep Mm -hmm. and kind of a mindfulness practice right yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That's
2: that's that's the cornerstone of of my evening routine. Is take a shower, skincare, hair care, eye care, teeth care. Sitting on my toilet, just like chilling, listen to a book, and then go to my little spot and stretch the shit out of my body. Like, <laughs> like get so have a little cup of whiskey. That's part of my part of my evening routine, or a beer and just let that alcohol like relax my body and then get deep into whatever stretch my body's available for and but i haven't been able to make the transition from that to fucking sleep like i'm getting closer but i swear harlow man i'm gonna, uh-huh. I'm gonna do that and then read re- maybe flip onto my stomach open a book and just let my body like let like, go uh, hey what were wanna, you going to say er- hold on i want to change wait.
3: the subject a little bit
0: hold, hold
2: on hold yeah. on what were you going to say earlier uh, harlow can I of cut you off a couple times.
3: Oh man, I have no idea. But I do know, you know, just to put a bow on uh the sleep thing if you guys want to just I feel like you you know once I got that under control, it was so much easier to huh. do the other things, you know, and it's kind of like ah relax, you know, now now we can really talk rationally about the other things and and not burn your burn it all down and start over so got
2: you so that, that's a huge so that was a yeah.
3: that was a really important thing it was like you know kind of let's view the things that are more um front burner and more uh what's the word you know almost crisis level and and then we'll talk about the other stuff so
2: yeah, it's like it's like sometimes I think about all the stuff that's taking five percent, ten percent, one percent away from your capacity to show up in life. Yeah. and it's like, yeah, you're trying to uh, you're trying to change your life and get better and, and address all these things when you when your capacity to do so is like thirty percent down. It's like let's look at our life and with diet and sleep, right, and the stressors, like just making the process of of get, getting better easier by improving these one or two things maybe that you can, you know, or that you have to. That's that's yeah. awesome. And then that, that affected like feeling better around depression and all that stuff. Like how, what did the rest of that Big time?
3: Like? Yeah. Yeah. It was uh yeah, I would say <clears throat> over the course of uh you know, once the sleep thing um kind of stabilized and then I kind of took off from there. Mm-hmm. Um and it just kind of became apparent, you know what, I'm, I'm really not depressed. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
3: like, you know, it's nice when you can say that, like, no, it, yeah, no, uh, whatever I was feeling, I'm not feeling now, but, but then there's a a really great kind of therapy that happens at that point where, you know, like I mentioned is almost like doing wellness checks, but mm-hmm. um, I feel like honestly, in a perfect world, we'd all have a therapist and we'd all go once a month
1: yeah, and for sure. we yeah. all have jobs we job. where we
3: weren't. and that and really you know kind of core to all these struggles are probably the same universal stories that most of us working class americans deal with is life is hard man we we got yeah. jobs we've got to pay bills and um pressure to perform and um sometimes that just takes over you know so much of our life that um you know you just, it, it can be a grind you know yeah some of us are fortunate enough to do work every day that is rewarding in in a lot of ways but man so many people um work is a grind it's hard and um it's just hard to maintain a balance and um and come home at the end of the day and say, wow, that, that was a rewarding day, you know, it, so.
2: I mean, like, how are you doing now?
3: I'm good. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, like my job is hard, um, running a nonprofit. Um, our economy is, is struggling here in Alaska. And after about, uh, I think we had probably had four or five, six years in a row in the, In the black, where you know you go to the your annual board meeting at the end of the year and report all your financials, and the board says, "Wow, great job! You know, we we saved more money this year, and you're great." And last year, 2022 is the first year in several years where um, we're in the red, and that's never fun, you know, when you're a director of a program, and um, but but it's it's not, um, it's not something that's um, causing me unhappiness or um, too much stress. Um, I mean, I like challenges. Um, I like, I I like my job, so I'm pretty lucky, but I can't, <laughs> I can't t- say that I enjoy, you know, a lot of it is tedious and, um, and, and it's, it's a lot more fun when when all the funding is pouring in. So, yeah. So how am I doing? Um, I'm doing well. I, I, I like my life and I like my uh, I'm, I'm around loved ones and there's a lot of rewards, but um, you know, I, that's another thing I learned is stress is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you know, that's a good we, reminder. we feel stressed because we're either, it's either because we were wanting something or wanting to get away from something. And mm. so I always try to ask myself, is is this stress a good stress or is it a bad stress? If it's if it's because I'm trying to get away from something, then well, let's we'll see if we can address that. But if it's stress because, you know, in the case of the the you know work stuff I'm talking about um this is it's it's a good stress because i'm challenged with bringing in new funding sources and you know building new programs and um and for me personally i'm I'm a pretty creative person um if my job feels if it's been routine for too long um it's um i've learned little things over the course of life like let's let's see what we can change here to keep it interesting and new and vibrant and um, just being innovative and um, those types of things keep me, keep me um, passionate and and keep me kind of engaged. I think um, some of this, Dan, just the last, you know, several years with the therapy that that's helped a little bit to, you know, have better reflection skills, so.
0: wanted to turn a corner there harlow a little bit around that and and something you said earlier in the in this uh conversation which is about a fear you had or have maybe still uh that your son may not want to be in relationship with you anymore or or leave i think that was the
3: word you used and is do you still feel that oh yeah you know maybe that came off sounding wrong you know i have Mm -hmm. a good both of my sons, I have, I have great relationships with them. Um, so there's, there's no fear of, um, of like any kind of like, uh, separation, uh, you know, that they'll completely go astray, but I just want to continue to have a, a meaningful, uh, a deep relationship with them. Yeah. You know, my older son is off at college now. So, this is something I think about, like how do you stay connected with the kid that's going spreading their wings yeah, and yeah. Do you live it,
0: do, do, is he the kind of kid where you text him, you know, I love you or whatever it might be my son's sixteen, by the way, and, yeah, and I think about this like i i I want him to at least want to be around me when he's older, when he's an adult, yeah right right and and you know sometimes I'll text him or something and just not he just ghosts me. But, but in person, (laughs) he's very sweet and kind. And, you know, the other night he grabbed me, wouldn't let go of me for a long time. He just wanted a hug. And does your son kind of do the same thing where he. Yeah, a little bit. No, he's
3: he's pretty good. I got to say, you know, um, texting is a, you know, for better or worse, modern technology, it's, you know, social media and smartphones. They've provided this medium for a lot of superficial communication that, you know, like we don't have as many long, meaningful phone calls or writing letters and all that stuff. But in the case of like my son away at college, texting has been amazing. And uh, just like at the drop of a hat, I can pick up my phone and, and I can say, hey, buddy, thinking about you, you know, and, and he'll write back, hey, thinking about you too, you know, and, and those- it was awesome
2: uh looking at that book that you sent me so like i think you looked i sent it to ron too so oh yeah this 75 page part scrapbook part uh wisdom you know and it was really interesting reading through that because um because so many of the pictures that you had up there were from the time where i was spending a lot of time with you oh yeah i mean it was like like some of them man i was like i think i was in the state of his house when that picture was taken, like there, <laughs> it was just right in this pocket. And then fucking one was Ben Spies, you know, Ben like yeah. reading with both of your- Oh yeah, yeah, well, the Sports yeah. Illustrated, Illustrated. <laughs> Illustrated. Yeah. that's good. That's a that's great, a great picture, one, right?
3: that's a classic.
2: But there was yeah. something I was really hoping we would get to today, it's just kind of a fun topic. I know we've got probably like 10 minutes tops. Yeah. Is, uh, is, um, I saw him racing a race and he had a number five on his, on his, uh, as his number. And I was like, I wondered if that was Mount marathon. And if so, yeah. your number is the place you took, which means did yeah. you fucking place that high in Mount marathon
3: in the junior race? Yeah.
2: In the junior race. Yeah.
3: So, you know, Eli, my older son, he's, he, he's a he's a really good athlete. Um, does he
2: run for Oregon?
3: No, no. He's at Montana state. Montana. Um, oh, okay but no, he does not run. And he's funny that way. Um, oh, oh, so I have two sons, like I said, I have two sons, Eli, my older son, it's kind of, it reminds me of myself in a lot of ways. My dad was a great climber. He wanted me to be a little rock climber, you know, when I was about five, he put me up on a, on a, it felt like a cliff at five. <laughs> it was probably just a little boulder. He was like, go ahead, climb. I'll catch you if you fall, you know. And I remember getting really gripped and I remember in my head going, screw that. I'm I'm not <laughs> I'm not gonna be a climber. Like I had this really profound conviction at that age that nope. Like I did the same I'm thing to my it. kid <laughs>
1: did
3: and, both and, of them. <laughs> you know, and I, I grew up playing basketball, and that was something that I was good at and it brought me a lot of joy and I great experience memories from it. So and of course my when my kids were little. I introduced them to I was coaching their little youth league basketball and Eli played for a few years. And then at one point he was like, ah, nah, not doing it. And I'm like, "What? you're not doing it. But, you know, he went and discovered soccer, which is something I didn't know anything about. And he completely blossomed and and he loved it because it was his own thing, you know. Um, and with running, he's always done it begrudgingly. He's like, ah, I'll do it. You know, Mount Marathon, we all it's a family thing.
2: Yeah, we got to pause there, man. So, whoa, whoa, whoa,
3: whoa. yeah, what?
0: yeah. So, Mount, <laughs> Mount marathon, marathon is one of the
2: one of the, one of the most unique uh, races in the history of uh, the states, at least. And correct me if I'm wrong, but as I understand it, 1911 uh, in uh, Seward, Alaska, two like grungy fuckers are sitting in a bar called the Yukon Bar, or whatever <laughs> Yukon, and at, right outside of the of the bar is a three thousand foot mountain this is a seward alaska is a, a little port city so there's it's right on the ocean and then right out your window is three thousand foot mountain so it's like from sea level to three thousand feet so hardy and so one guy goes to the other guy I bet i can race to the top of that and back in less than an hour and the guys like, go fuck yourself and then they both they did it uh, soon after that or right then and That was the first Mount Marathon race, and it's the second oldest race now in the United States behind the Boston Marathon. And the guy was just over an hour, I think. And
0: damn, and it is some whiskeys in him.
2: It's three thousand feet up, three thousand feet down, and it's a fucking five k. So it's three point one miles, right? So you climb that much and you descend that much. And it is fucking crazy, the steepness and the way that these mountain, I mean, it's truly mountain goat type stuff. The way that these people, these runners of, Har, of which Harlow is one, um, come down this is insane. Like you'll see them practice or you'll see them do it where they'll have to hit these little perfect little foot places, just like a, a mountain goat to come down safely. Is, <laughs> you, you sign off on all that? Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah, that's, you described it well, Dan. It's It's got an amazing colorful history and it's it's truly hardcore. Um truly hardcore. As matter of fact, it's getting to be incredibly popular um internationally. Killian Journey, I don't know if you're familiar with that name. He's mm. the top mountain runner in the world.
2: Oh, so more people are coming is he, from is all... he
3: Irish? He's um um Spanish. Huh. So he, he came and raced Mount Marathon a couple of years ago and broke the course record. Oh, and he did, and then amazingly, this kid from Fairbanks um, broke, took the record back the next Whoa. year.
2: So uh, Harlow, you've run you cool. still running it?
3: I uh, am yeah, yeah, actually, this year, uh, this summer, my wife and I will get number twenty. and uh, when you when you get your twenty races in, they give you a really nice plaque with all your times, you know, your twenty. 20- so- a couple, wow.
2: things, a couple things, a couple of things, Ron. Uh, it's really popular. So there's only a couple ways to get in. And one of them is uh, you raced it the year before. You have to, so you have to, I'm sh- you have to race it every year to keep your, to keep your place. You also, if you win a major mountain, ra- uh, mountain race in Alaska, you also get in. And then another way is to, they have a few that they auction off. You can spend like 1200 bucks or yeah. something like that. So check this out, Ron. I'm running. This is one of my favorite stories in life. I'm running for Alaska University of Alaska Anchorage. I, was, I took a break from Chico State, hitchhiked up to Alaska. Me and a friend literally flipped a coin. Are we going to go north or south? At the beginning of summer, we decided to go north, end up hitchhiking. And on the way up, I'm like, you know what? I wonder if they have a college up there. And maybe if they do, I wonder if they have a, if they have a running team. Maybe I'll transfer. And, mm-hmm. and try a new school, you know. Yeah. And so I called on the road. I called, found University of Alaska Anchorage. They did have a program. The coach is like, "What's your fucking name? Who are you?" And he looks me up and he goes, "Oh shit, you're pretty fast." And they gave me a full ride.
1: Oh shit! So I got a
2: full ride out of state tuition. And all, while I'm hitchhiking up, so I was like hitchhiking up. I started. I did. I was like, I need to train. So I was like That's hitchhiking and running. <laughs> hitchhiking and running. So I get up there. I run at UAA. And it's fine. And I meet Harlow because he's connected to some uh, to one of the people up there that got me uh, going and running in the first place. So meet Harlow, all is good. And uh, I'm up there still, and it's the summertime, and I'm hanging out with our mutual friend. He's a stockbroker, an epic human, would love to have Chris on the podcast, too. And so check this out. I'm hanging out with Chris. We're bullshitting. It's summer. I'm about to hitchhike back down south. and. Chris gets a text from a guy uh who runs Mount Marathon every year, but who's stranded in like Washington or something? And he's really, if he doesn't race that year, he's gonna lose his place in, in Mount Marathon, right? Which is really valuable. And so he he goes, Will Daniel run the race for me? And he fucking FedExes his ID up to me, like overnights his ID. I memorized the information. I kind of looked like him. <laughs> And I go, I, I go. thought this guy is great. I go to the race <laughs> and we pull off the caper. I pretend to be him. I'm in. I'm in good shape. And did you fuck number, up his
0: times though? Did you like run way faster
1: than him? Opposite, like... Yeah, exactly. His
2: the number. Your number from for the next year. Your race number yeah. is the place you got the year before. So you always kind of know when you're watching where people can and should be. And I don't know. His number was like high. And. And then also remember the whole idea is, can you get this, can you do this race in under an hour? Because that was the original bet. And under an hour is a good time. The yeah. the world, the record now is probably low 40s. Is that right? Yeah. Too yeah. Much. So, so if you think this is how crazy it is. 5K. I can do, I could run a 5K in that, at that time in 15 minutes and a good time for this 5K is under an hour. That's how steep and crazy it is. Wow. So I race and I run 58 minutes. I got under an hour and I took like 30th place or something like that. And I always wanted to catch up with that guy again and see what it was like. Cause the next year people were like, dude, you had a terrible race today. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But it was fucking epic, man. That was one of the best experiences of my life.
0: That's incredible. What a great story. Uh, Harlow, man, I feel like we could keep talking for a long time. And, and uh, I mean, we didn't even get into the, any of the athleticism and, and um, you know, sports side of this whole deal, which I was, I find fascinating. And, um, yeah, so I, I've, I've an interest in some of that as well. Thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. And, and thank you for sharing your story and being vulnerable. Well, I, have,
2: I have a crazy idea, Ron.
0: What's that? Part you two? have to
2: go. Can me and Ron, can me and Harlow continue for a little while?
0: Yeah. Let me transfer, um, the ownership of this meeting to you, Daniel, and then you will be able to do that.
2: And do i have to do something at the end to
0: just close it out
2: yeah are you sure because like don't i have to keep my computer open or something like that
0: oh right um yeah no no if you guys stay together uh, it's being recorded directly in my hard drive so okay. it, none of that will be saved
2: well if that's the case then and we can't even continue talking
0: you guys could keep talking but the recording won't happen
2: Okay. Yeah. Well, sorry about that. Before you go though, Harlow, what's your what was your best Mount Marathon time and placing?
3: Ooh, well, my best. um Huh. I have to think about this. I was in the low forty nines, forty nine minute. Wow. Um, and, and place best place was seventh. But I got to say, like Mount Marathon was never. I I always the longer the better. Like.
2: Put Crow Pass, there. that was your jam, right?
3: Yeah, put me out in a three, four, five-hour wilderness race. What's and, the distance and, on that? Is that like thirty something miles? Um, Crow Pass is in the. It's about twenty-three miles, but it's real technical. Yeah, yeah. a lot there's of elevation this, changes. He
2: he won Crow Pass one year, and at least once here. And there's this epic picture that was on uh, Anchorage. Daily news of him like cresting in the middle of the race, cresting this race. That's an awesome picture, Harlow.
3: Yeah, I should that picture back up and then this might inspire me to do some some sit ups and pull ups. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you race with trekking poles or you're you're like just No, homeless? I don't. And it's funny, you know, when I uh, my buddy and I went over and did this transalpine race and we we're just classic Alaskan guys and um Everyone over there had like there's such a Euro look, you know, the Solomon tights, Degear, Solomon yeah. arm sleeves, Solomon shoes, and trekking poles is such a look. And so we're kind of philosophically against
0: <laughs> you're this. like
3: the trad climbers of the climbing world. Like you're yeah. like in in the in the race over in the transalpine they're really funny they're the nicest people in the world but um they have an etiquette a racing etiquette that's so different than ours like in in alaska with mountain running and i think probably anywhere in in america uh if you're gonna pass somebody on a trail race you just you maybe exchange a pleasantry and then you say hey i'm gonna come around here on the left and they just kind of you know scooch over at, at the right time and um in Europe, man, there's none of that. Like if you want to pass somebody, you, you better uh you better plan to make you better plan your move and it and it's a battle. And it's perfectly acceptable for them to make some real wide pole strokes with their trekking poles <laughs> to try and to whack you in the chins. <laughs> and my buddy Patrick, who is a really good, decent human being, this is a really nice guy. One of the in this Transalpine, you have to stay kind of. uh You're a team, so you have to stay close to each other within two minutes. But we're on this climb, and he got a little bit ahead of me, and and he's passing this guy on this mountain trail. All of a sudden, I hear this
1: goddamn motherfucker,
3: you know, just like string of profanities. I'm like, whoa, what the hell's going on? And then I I looked up, and he was just having uh he got totally into it. This guy, because. I was starting to pass him and the guy was like trying to trip him with his <laughs>
0: oh. <freaking> dirty <laughs> dirty so I mean, you know what? I, I could keep talking about this stuff but i really do got to go yeah thank you guys good talking to you harlow i'm looking forward to thanks. our conversation in the future thanks
3: dan absolutely it's been a lot of fun you guys and yeah. thanks for having me Field dressing everybody
0: harlow robinson
2: Carlo Robinson, Swiss Family Robinson, Alaska Family Robinson.
0: Alaska, did you read that article? Did you were it? I did
2: a long th- I did a long time back. I remember that yeah, for sure. But I no, I haven't read it in a while. I just skimmed it and took a look just and you know, just to remind myself of you know just like the history, the like fifty years of family Alaskan history that guy is part of.
0: Why did you? I bet that, I bet it was amazing was totally amazing that it takes a certain breed of person to go up there and go we're fucking living off the grid or just even live there <laughs> like it did you does. find there that no, to be true when you I live mean, there
2: there's a last frontier it's called the last frontier for that reason and you know you could be in the 70s and be i think i think him his his father-in-law dave johnson who was part of the mine minus 147 or 148 crew went up um denali mm. His, I think his family just squatted and, and on land and, and then yeah. they, just, I don't know if they eventually owned it, but it was, it was like a frontier. And I know that he, I believe he attempted the first solo winter um, ascent of Denali also. He was part of the first group expedition, but, and the story I remember is that he literally walked out his back door to go do it.
0: So he like, left, walked however long it took to get to fucking Denali.
2: Saw Denali over there and he prepped and he goes, It's just you know, and then he went. There's no driving and he'd just walk out his back door with his skis and with his gear and you know, go attempt an epic
0: dude, that is so unbelievably ballsy. Somebody asked me the other day if there's any mountains I wanted to climb, and I was like, you know, mountaineering is actually very dangerous. Like it, like it's more, way more dangerous than, than wall climbing or rock climbing. I'd say, unless you're in a virgin wall and there's like a lot of rock fall or something like that. Like,
2: it's, uh, the main confrontation with the, my first real confrontation with death was up there in Alaska. I, I think I told that story on one of our recent episodes, just, you know, jewel mountain Thanksgiving going up. Me and this guy decided to come down an opposite way than a uh, different way than we went up and that's a huge mistake because mm-hmm. the weather came in and next thing you know we didn't know what was below us that one. yeah so we're we're coming down and it's getting steeper and steeper and steeper to the point where we are going to fall off the mountain we're on our backs <laughs> on our butts like and we there's no walking anymore hanging on the side of a mountain Fuck that dude and, and then it, we couldn't go back up because it was too steep and it was socked in and we were we were stuck and I was like I'm gonna die you know, and mm. back, the little, this little bantam rooster, ma- mountaineer guy, fucking, he just goes, I'm going to jump. You know? And <laughs> I literally saw him. He jumped off the mountain and disappeared into a cloud of mist.
0: <laughs> you did tell this story, and I'm still, as I'm yeah. even more flabbergasted now.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was.
0: What kind of gear did you have on? Did you have like...
2: It was a little 3,000 foot climb. We went out from from this cabin and we hiked in that day, but we just had ice axes, crampons, you know?
0: So yeah. that dude, that dude flipped a coin.
2: I mean, we're, it's a 3,000 foot mountain and we yeah. were at the top at sunset and then we start to come down and we can see, you know, you can't see the whole way down because it was getting steeper, but we're measuring... You know he's measuring how far we've gone down. So you can tell when you've probably gone about three thousand feet down. Mm. You think, right? Mm. So it's not like we walked five minutes and then we're like, well, I don't know. No, That's I get it. Long.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: We, we were pretty sure we were close to the bottom, but he—I'll never forget it, man. He jumped and disappeared into into the fog, into the clouds in the mist.
0: What did you did you scream? Did you were you like? Did you like? What I just watched my friend die? And I
2: mean a little bit, yeah. And then, but then it turns out we were at the bottom. He he probably jumped eight eight feet, ten feet, and hit the hit the snow on the bottom. And when and we went in, I spent the coldest night of my life in the um in the little cabin. This little bleak. It's not a cabin. It was just a little shelter. Yeah. And and in the next day. Uh, the weather had cleared and we looked up and it was pristine and perfectly clear and we saw exactly where it, how we'd come down and we were right at the bottom
0: So did you jump too? Did yeah, I did. I knew was good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. I was good. so yeah. I jumped
2: but but my point is is like that was just a little scare, you know. These guys someone died on that one that, that Dave Johnson went on. Fucking died. Oh,
0: Denali still kills people. I mean Mount Hood in Portland kills people. Like it's it's mountaineering is no joke. It's no yeah. joke.
2: Harlow's up there, man. Like I've stayed at his house a bunch. You saw his house from the inside. It's yeah. beautiful, right? To my knowledge, he built that, um, you know, with a bunch of other people, but-
0: No, just with so, his bare hands.
2: You know, the grizzlies stroll through his front door, front uh, yard.
0: <clears throat> wow.
2: Yeah, they're yeah. in the man.
0: How far out of, out of Anchorage is he?
2: Not far, you know, it's yeah. just- have to Besides
0: be how common. wild it is though.
2: Grizzlies are in the city. <laughs> I'm not kidding brown bear, brown bear black bears they're in the city Whoa. yeah it's crazy I ran up there and we it was another world and it was another world so mm. you know you confront life and death more and um but I that was an interesting conversation I felt like we might have done him a little bit of a disservice by focusing so much on his mental health stuff and because I don't know if he's used to talking about that with mm. especially in public and You know, um, I would have liked to have maybe if I had to do it again, maybe stick more to, um, more to just his adventures and the, the incredible stories of his family and, and his accomplishments run on some of the, the, that Crow pass marathon that he won, um, it's a legit feat of endurance. It's a gnarly marathon. It's one of the hardest marathons uh, as I understand it.
0: Wow i mean i i I would disagree with you in the sense that um i think people need to hear about those hard conversations and from somebody who's so accomplished even though he didn't get into his accomplishments you can look look this dude up and see his shit like like he's a very accomplished guy and he's being pretty vulnerable and open about i liked what he said you know it wasn't like oh i had this crazy trauma you know i he's like i just wasn't taking care of myself very well and i and i did the right thing and went and found a therapist. And my therapist's like, How is your sleep? Like, like, what's the basics like? He's like, Well, I'll take an ambient every day. And oh, let's work on that. Like it wasn't overly dramatic, but I think that's the way a lot of us deal with our mental health is like we're making minor decisions that make us feel like shit. And and those minor decisions over time have a big consequence. And he was able to interrupt that and change it. That's badass. That's super badass.
2: You know, the more I reflect on it and you you saying that. You know, it's kind of a sweet thing. I got to know my friend better today. You know, yeah. what I mean, I like I said, he's so charming and handsome, and he's got he's solid. His wife Gina is a fucking rock star. She's so fucking cool, and they live in this beautiful house. And his brother is just like six foot five, and fucking looks like Keanu Reeves. And his wife is amazing, and their kids are beautiful and he adopted another girl and they're just like, they're the perfect people. And then you realize, Oh, you know, you, you don't have even some of the basics together and you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but neither and, do I. <laughs> well, and, and, in, and it's causing depression. So it's it's, yeah. it's, it's, um, contributing to depression and, and hearing him say that he wanted to burn it all down. Like, I know what that feels like yeah. I think a lot of us do. And yep, I agree and to hear him just like check it and get some good advice.
1: Mhm.
0: Yeah, he normal I think he did a good job of normalizing basic mental health care. Like go find a therapist, you know, he said he said if it, if I had it my way everybody would have access to a therapist would do a yeah. wellness check once a month. I mean, that's you know, I think we're starting to destigmatize some of this stuff, but I've I mean I've spoken to past Ring wearing NFL players who, uh, you know, in coaching scenarios who are like, I will not go see a therapist. It is foreboding in my culture. And oh. it is really looked down upon. And, and that's, it's hard, you know, it's heartbreaking to hear because we all I need it. Everybody needs it, I think. And it needs, needs somebody <laughs> to hear our stuff and give us solid, proven advice <laughs> back.
2: And personalized. You know, yeah. Like,
0: proven and personalized. Well said.
2: You can go online. And get excellent advice. Yeah, and scrolling on Instagram. Yeah, excellent, man. But if you, if you haven't sat down with somebody, who and they and really they've asked the questions and they've gotten to know you, where they can tailor that advice, then a lot of the advice that you can get, it can just feel good and seem right, but you don't really know how to apply it, or you're not hearing it in a way that's tailored for you, and. You know, at this stage, I don't feel personally like I need therapy anymore. And that's because I have all the tools. I understand what to do. You just do it. You know, it's really, unless I got into crisis or something. But you've
0: you've also been through a tremendous amount of therapy. Like you've worked with a therapist a lot.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So now it's like, now going to Instagram is therapy because you're like, oh, yeah, that.
0: Yeah, it's a good reminder.
2: Reminder, make action, you know? So it's cool to hear him. I just never knew especially when he fucking worked in a therapeutic environment for 12 years.
0: You know, it doesn't surprise me because I think I think the cobbler's kids get the last shoes and and when we're in a scenario where we're often taking care of things for others, it's really easy to um neglect ourselves because of that the, it's like hard to turn that <sighs> same energy inward and I think that's why I I was really impressed with David Robles your other friend who works in a similar situation because and I was going to say this during the episode is um I can physically hear and see a difference in his life talking to him than when I first met him years ago really because he's try, he's worked so hard on himself like he he articulates differently he's he presents himself differently in an improved way in a beautiful way and I wouldn't have ever said anything ill about him before you know what i mean it's not like i'm like oh this guy doesn't have a shit together i would have never said anything like that but to see somebody who's who's worked hard on bettering themselves yeah it's 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 paid off and and david's the kind of guy who's like man i need to do this for myself and those around me and you know that's what um our man harlow did today too so Hats off to those guys. And shit, I would, I think if we had another hour, if I hadn't had to jump off for a a meeting I had, like, I would have loved to have nerded out about running records and mountains in Alaska and all that stuff. And
2: that was, that was hard to not get into, you know? And because that mountain marathon, his relationship with, his relationship with mountain running in Alaska, which, which is like the ultra marathoning world. And it was like a thriving ultra marathon world before ultra marathoning became, really big and popular, you yeah. know, in Gagens. Yeah. And he was winning ultra marathons and and there's this really unique circuit up there. And yeah, and him and I got I got plugged in with the people who win that. There's one guy, Toby, um, was on my team. He was our number one, our number two runner. And uh he's a German guy. And he went on right after college to win Mount Marathon and set the record. You know Whoa. and So I was like, and then my, basically the reason I know Harlow is because my, my second coach he was in my high school coach in running was a Chico state runner named Chris Myers, who's this legendary figure. And he became my high school coach. And then right after he graduated, he ushered me into Chico state running. And then he took off to Alaska where he's from oh, lives. He's a stockbroker, but he's like, he's this guy who's so passionate and full of energy and like you just want to bottle him and sell him to the whole world he's yeah. fucking great it's not like positive energy he'll be down but he's a, intense he's vital energy no it's yeah. not intense it's like sweet balm like his oh wow pretty, yeah it's it's weird it's not fakely positive it's not intensely it's just joy and mirth he's this pink-faced rosy-faced really short like He's a fucking gem, man. And when he went up there, he became friends with some of the runners. And and so when I went up to there, he for the second time in, in my life, he ushered me into a whole realm of people. And it wasn't the UAA, University of Alaska Anchorage runner guys. It was the mountain running guys. Wow. And they're the number one guy out of all those is a guy named Brad Prakoski, who's one of their friends. And that guy has won a bunch of those races he's like he was like number one in the world or something like that and you know and then him and I became friends and just like I would have liked to have gotten into the adventures and the culture of and of that really unique group of people
0: yeah that's a very specific kind of competition and breed of human being there's there's a um, I I don't know if we've ever talked about this it's a it's kind of adjacent to this There's a, there, you know, we talked at the very top of the, uh, episode about, um, wanting to take a cruise up the, up the channel islands of Juan de Fuca islands. Yeah. There's a boat race. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's a, it's a, you, the only way to get in this boat race is you cannot be sponsored. Like you can't be a sailboat, a a sponsored sailor for like Rolex or whatever. It is a blue collar run what you brung race. And the winner, it leaves Vancouver and ends in Alaska. And the winner is the person who gets to $10,000 that's nailed to a tree. <laughs> that's the winner. <laughs> and at the beginning of the race, they tell you, the the Canadian Coast Guard says, this is an unsanctioned race. We will not rescue you. You are on your own. Ooh. And they have to race with the tide. So they like race, you know, however the f- it's going. And then they have to anchor as it's sucking out because their sailboats can't outpace the, the, uh, uh, tide going out and so they have to like haul ass at whatever time it is you know so they're getting weird sleep and all that kind of shit and boat sink every year and the whole thing but it's like there's a certain kind of cool fucking grit that that exists up there and like maybe that's part of the reason i've never gone is like man i don't know if i got what it takes like (laughs) like it's something i'd love to aspire to be but it's like in another life if I didn't have kids and family and, and but then I also know it's like well people do with their families and they
2: dude Alaska you know. is romantic as fuck you can booze it up as much as you want of course but just getting up there breathing the air meeting the people you know it, when I went that was the first time that when I went and traveled somewhere because I traveled to these big islands of big islands uh, in the mind in the world what I mean by that is I traveled in my 20s to Hawaii. the big right. island. I traveled to Australia. These are places I lived. I lived in Hawaii, yeah. I lived in Australia, this big island. And then Alaska was this big island of the United States. Like it's not yeah. an actual, but it's an island of a state. And I got there. And I said, I feels like coming home. Hmm. I really felt that. And so why
0: did you leave? Why did you leave after getting a full ride to run there?
2: Because the coach was really hard you know Mm. that's actually something that the co i didn't get along with the coach at all you know he was very you had to wear certain clothes and you had to act a certain way and you know down here chico state which is a perennial top four uh running program in d2 it's an excellent distance running program man this is california and you're you're like shooting from the i don't know what am i trying to say it's loose it's relaxed they just want you to run really casual.
1: fast, yeah
2: but this was like we want you to run fast and we want you to dress and act a certain way and i was like cutting mohawks and wearing leopard skin shorts and i was a wild man dude <laughs> Fucking wild man <laughs> your and I,
0: rock and roll sensibility couldn't handle it
2: <laughs> dude. i went up there and we did not get along and i had a i had a really rough season and and I, I, didn't, you know, I, I was going to leave and I took their best runner with me, Sean Rivers.
0: Yeah. Did you, you brought him to Chico?
2: No. Well, almost, he almost transferred to Chico, but he just yeah. ended up graduating out and leaving a, when he had a couple of semesters left there. And, you know, we became really close friends and we were dude, dude, Ron, when I fucking went up to Alaska, I was an honor student and a really good runner. I hitchhiked to Alaska, and the Anchorage Daily News, which is a big newspaper, yeah. ran on their sports page a big, full-page article on me living in an RV, having hitchhiked, was an honor student, and I was on the front page of the, of the sports section, and below me was like the Giants going to the World Series. Like, it was such a wild time and adventure in my, in my life.
0: That's beautiful. I'm gonna point something out about you. And I and I and I want a little bit of tension here. And that is there's a Daniel that I don't get to see very often in my experience with you. And he comes out when we start talking about running. And and you got you have a history with running that probably would take several episodes for us to cover. Well, uh, well that's the okay, okay, okay. Well, there there it is. There's the thing you, you like sweep it under the rug so fast. And, and I can't tell if it's resentment. I can't tell if it's because you've been injured and can't run anymore. I don't know what it is, but, but it's like, there's a part part of you that sings and gets like excited when you start talking about this, even just the, even just like, like, like the stats and history and sports and all that stuff. Like, is there any part of you that misses that world that wants to be a part of it anymore?
2: Well, I appreciate you feel like you're again, as you often do indulging me but running was my first love man
1: yeah i, I get that
2: i broke its heart you know
0: like <laughs> like that,
2: like that. <laughs> you know i i don't i used to deal with my emotions by going out and running a below 7 minute average 10 to 12 mile run daily damn and in, it's rainy right now down here, and it's cold. And I would go out with no shirt on and commune with the, the spirits of nature. And I don't do that at all anymore. I don't even have anything that looks anywhere like that. So, you know, I probably have any in me that are unexpressed and eating eating me myself up, and they're not happy that they don't get to live anymore. Hmm. But I abused it. That's why running is a hot flame. You know, I was talking with. Yeah. Jamie, you know our our, our, yeah. our listeners, and she's doing uh, a marathon, right? Ultra don't marathon, yeah. yeah. And she was she asked me about running advice. Jason Brick, another one of guests, he's doing a half marathon, I think, or a marathon, and he's marathon asking, full
0: marathon, yeah.
2: He hit me up. People ask me for running advice, but my advice is always overcorrection. It's like don't run, you know, like <laughs> it's <a> hot place. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> and that's not true. I gave them both yeah. really good advice that, that is helping them continue but my point is is that running is a hot flame. You got don't hold your hand over it for too long. Be very careful around it and and I just I burned myself, man. Hm. Mm.
1: Mm.
0: Mm. I put on my shoe running shoes today for the first time in in many 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 months because of my knee and um yeah. My watch told me that I broke a record, which just means I broke a record for the, because I've reset my watch. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a blazing nine minute, 45 second mile.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's
0: but, you know, well, what I what I noticed today was I think part of my knee problem is because I heel strike so hard. And so I just I don't do that. on the way home. I focused really it took a lot of energy and effort to just run on my on the balls of my feet and then my toes and don't
2: don't even think about balls of your feet that's too far the other way think oh, midfoot damn. striking midfoot striking cool. right if you if you think about midfoot striking don't land on the ball because that can be really hard on your arches and in other mm. parts it's not natural either I mean it's not natural for long long distance yeah. but that hard heel jam your knees up the toe you know will I think cause other problems but so it's
0: midfoot like the blade of your the outside of your it's
2: foot not like the outside no it, you'll actually mm. strike kind of on the inside uh I'm oh, sorry and the, a little bit on the outside and then roll across pronate. it's called pronation mm. but it, just the intention of, of of landing in the middle of your foot will take it off of that toe a little bit and and it's just like floating on a cloud once you get it in your body mm. Mm. think of midfoot striking because then you still get the we, as i understand it we distribute the weight when we run across our entire foot when it crosses from outside to inside and and pads you know and and you hit and it it goes from kind of heelish because you're, you're not going to just not touch your heel at all yeah it goes kind of from heel to toe but it's it's more of a midfoot in when mm. i do that in my stride i do it naturally now and it feels really good
0: Hmm. Mm. Well, if a buddy of mine who's listened to the podcast, oh, you know, him, Sean Smith, we've, we, he's, he's looked at some of our artwork and stuff. Um, he, he's been running a lot and we applied to get a permit to uh, climb, not climb, but to hike up um, Mount Whitney in oh, California. Cool. And, and it's a 22 mile round trip and we want to do it in a single run. Like that's the, that's the goal
1: nice
0: yeah so you know it's a it's a lottery i don't know if we're even gonna get a chance to do it but that's the that's the that's the desire so that's the
2: first time i got injured in running i was 19 really mysterious run uh injury uh two days after i finished my first 100 mile week hmm. and was a few weeks off, a few months off really confused really upset and I started to feel better and we and a friend of mine was like, Let's go hike the John Muir Trail. And the John Muir Trail starts, if you don't know, at the top of Mount Whitney. Very close <laughs> to it. Very close to it.
0: So you had to get up that damn thing. Yeah. So our first day eleven we, miles up from the trailhead, a
2: Fucking sixty-pound backpack because it was our first day. And then we decided to summit it, which is just another like thousand feet or something. And yeah, that first day of hiking, we did twenty-four miles with sixty-pound bags dude
0: that is brutal that's brutal yeah
2: well one thing i wanted to say about running is and one reason harlow's had a lot of success and a lot of those guys up there have had a lot of sex success there's two reason two reasons (laughs) i think i just freudian that they've had a lot of sex
0: you did you did it's good they probably Uh, do (laughs) they're like (laughs) <laughs> men like that oh that's
2: the uh, specimens like them <laughs> Clean gazelles. but uh one of the reasons they've had so much success is they didn't start running really until their 30s and so huh. their body was made yeah and then they started and they're smarter and then the other reason is the fucking place shuts down in the winter and everyone skis instead of runs essentially Oh, so, so you're still
0: keeping your cardio up, but yeah, like not the it, impact on your body.
2: Cross training, you're doing different. and It's not a cross country skiing so easy on the body. So there's reasons why you know people you know up there in general can. That's why I tell Jamie, you know, our, our friend Jamie, she's probably going to be just fine. She didn't start running until she was in her mid 30s or something like that.
0: Yeah, I was the same essentially. So yeah. Hmm. Very cool, man. Uh. Well, I want to see that. I don't know. I know it's a hot flame, but. I think selfishly just seeing, seeing some spark come alive in you. Maybe it's too, maybe it's too much for you. I don't I don't want to pressure you into it.
2: I don't know how to get it back. You know, I don't feel like I can do anything obsessively physical anymore. I tried it with dance and martial arts. I just do the same thing with everything. Hot yoga. That's why I quit hot yoga. I was like, I'm going to fuck myself up.
0: Yeah. That's your, that, if you got an addiction in your life, it's probably pushing your body too hard.
2: It's movement. I'm yeah. To movement. I'll sit here and stretch every night. My two, my hours of stretching. Yeah every night i push it to the fucking limit man
0: dude my son uh my son is is gained 10 pounds last month of muscle from lifting from lifting and he's gone through puberty of course so like you this is not a common thing for the human body you know unless you're going through puberty but he's he's getting getting ripped ripped. yeah he's, he's he's already an inch taller than me and uh but he's kind of the same way he fucking loves lifting he loves it and Lifting
2: and distance running in uh, release, as I understand it, uh, the same type of, and level of endorsement and endorsement, endorphins. Hmm. Hmm. They, they totally cross. It's the same. Oh, fit. interesting. Yeah. yeah.
0: What's considered distance running?
2: <laughs> what do you mean? Training or a race?
0: I don't know. Like is, is, is like, you know, 10 miles, you know, like if I went out for a, a, a 10, uh, you know, today I did four. I was like, oh, I could definitely do seven for sure.
2: I feel right. like if you're when I was in distance running, I didn't even count. I didn't even want to count a run if it was under four miles. That was our minimum. Four yeah. miles is minimum. But but these days, I don't know. You go for a two mile run, you know.
0: Well, we'll get back to my we'll go back to my question. What is considered distance running?
2: I don't know what you mean. I don't understand that question.
0: Well, I've heard people say there's running and then there's distance
2: running. Oh, ah, pedantic. What? Are, uh, what running? I don't know. Anything over three miles, 3.1 miles? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> this is running. I don't know. Who cares? Running. I'm what?
0: disappointed in this answer.
2: How do you care? <laughs> Make I'm something
0: thinking. up. <laughs> 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 I, I don't know. I think I, I know. Okay. I do know why. Because I'm looking for some vanity for myself. That's the truth.
2: You're a distance runner, Ron. <laughs> you are good? Do you feel better about your life?
0: Almost. A little bit slower. Could you say it with a little bit more like mirth in your voice? Like a little little like, Ron? No, no, no. One I more third? Ron, it, you're a distance runner.
1: <laughs> say it like that.
2: <laughs> uh, I wish I could go for a run these days, man. God. You know, I think what I think it is, what I'm getting off on these days, buddy, that's why these 60 hour weeks you know oh yeah being and hustling around and i'm i'm getting a little bit of it out like that you know but it's yeah it's different sometimes you just Mm. you just lose my last race buddy my last collegiate race there's one more thing my last collegiate race was conference and uaa i finished my my uh my time up, my my running up there. Hmm. And I it was conference and what was happening that whole semester was I was getting slower. And the races were hurting more.
0: Why do you think that was?
2: Because my brain was done being abused. And it was hmm. rejecting this life this the way of me treating myself. And so I would, I was running this conference race and it was the first and last time I ever gave up in a race, I said, I'm done. And I not only gave up in the race, I gave up running and then I, and then I didn't make the team for regionals and because of that. And the next week I went into a lot of people running treadmills up there and I got onto a treadmill and I just ran and ran and i'd notch up the speed and run and notch up the speed and i was just staring at a wall and my knee started to hurt my patella tendon and then i just ramped it and i ran and i ran two more miles and my knee was on fire and then i ramped up the speed and i ran further and harder and my knee was just like breaking was dying and i just ran further and harder to the point where i was like 550 miles at the miles 14 and 15. you know I might be exaggerating a little bit there but it was under six for at least that last mile and then and that was the slug in running and i was done and i was totally injured i, I deal with the injury and the consequences of that day to this day i have to watch my right knee because i i destroyed it on that treadmill i was so angry and frustrated and yeah
0: you got in your favorite hot rod and you redlined that motherfucker while it's sitting in the garage until well, the motor blew
2: let's finish with this buddy yeah Two years later, I re reorganized my relationship with running and I ran one more race. It was a it was a 30 K 19 miles and Sean rivers, my, my friend from, from Alaska, the great runner came down from Portland. He runs all the running shoe stores. The it's important you've, you've gotten shoes from him. Fleet feet. No foot traffic.
0: Foot traffic. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And yeah. He I bought shoes from a couple times.
1: Yeah.
2: I was, I was training with an all American friend of mine, Tyler Graff, who was still in school and I just was enjoying running. I didn't kill myself. And I fucking took second in that race and beat my all American friend. It was the last race I ever ran. So it was a happy ending. And then since then after that, I just, my relationship with running got better and better, but this is wrap it back to Harlow. After you got off the call, Harlow told me a story about this guy and this guy was an obsessive runner. He would run at he worked for harlow and he would run in the morning and then at lunch he'd be like hey can i get a quick one in and then he'd run a third time after work but you could tell harlow said you could tell he was a little off and i don't want to like give too much of this guy's life away but long story short over the ensuing maybe decade or so i can't remember the amount of years harlow would run into this guy or had come into his life and it got worse and worse and worse to the point where drugs on the street you know, that whatever was in him that was, it was not working was destroying his life to mm. the point where Harlow hadn't seen him for many years and he was sure he was dead. Mm. Alcohol, all this stuff. And then he gets a message one day. and The guy, it's an apology, right? Mm. And then they contact each other and they talk and then the guy comes up to Alaska or something and they spend a few days together. And instead of being dead, his whole life, was changed and he was healthy, sober, happy, married, had a family, had kids. He was great. This is from the worst of the worst. Like Mm Harlow said, Harlow wouldn't even say how bad it got, but it was beyond being on the street, addicted to drugs. Wow. And and then this is what he says, man. And this is the question I wanna pose to you and to the listeners is, he said it had to do with a relationship in his life. And this person, The guy who was messed up, and this other person who was a family member, just some way connected, cried, got communicating, and he said from that conversation on, he never thought about having or wanting alcohol again. Not triggered about it at all, Hmm. and his whole life changed after that. And I think, what is it, man? This is the question: is what? What is the thing at the heart of us? If we have an eating disorder, if we have uh, something we just run the wheels off of? What is the thing at the center of that is sometimes people ex- find it and everything just goes away.
0: That's a good question. I can, I can probably toss several guesses out there that might be in the realm of possibilities, but I kind of want to leave that on a, on a cliffhanger because um, I think it's such a big question and it's a good question to think about. It's a really good question. I, I think that's a good, good question for us to end on and for, uh, the listeners to, to really think about, you know, when this episode's over, like, think about that.
2: Yeah. Let's assume that there's yeah. something in you that is driving the ways that we hurt ourselves. Let's assume that's true. What, what yeah. like that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, thanks for posing that question. Thanks for bringing Harlow on. I'd actually like to talk to him again about running. If you want to bring him on again, like how that'd... about
2: we bring on him and Brad Prakowski and maybe Chris Myers, and we do a group thing. We t- share a lot of stories.
0: That'd be fun. Do you know of a running coach from Oregon named Sean Hayworth?
2: I don't think so. He's at Oregon State or Oregon U no,
0: no, he's not a he's not a, a college coach. He is a an independent coach, and he's a he's a also like a reporter for for like big trail runs and he does like he covers stories and follows them. uh but people hire him to to coach he's living in a van with his wife traveling all over right now but he's he's um a friend of mine and and he'd probably fucking love this stuff too
2: well how about this man how about we bring on brad pekoski i mean i mean legendary uh alaskan runner and world-class harlow and then my my guy chris myers and we just we explore this question we just asked maybe and and yeah. what makes us run and what makes us run too much. And just get yeah. it.
0: That's solid. Uh, you know who else I wanna to talk to is the gentleman who lost his eyes to the, the grizzly bear.
2: Damn oh, Bigley, really?
0: Damn, yeah. Okay. Yeah.
2: That sounds good.
0: Great, man, thanks for uh, doing this. Good to see you again. You too, buddy. Love you, man, thanks. Bye.